some lives. Fuck, we, we can even save Earth. Right? and welcome back to the ATI Podcast. This is Barrett Lewis coming in solo for right now. This week we're bringing you another special roundtable edition of the ATI Podcast, welcoming back Doug Wicker of Search Party Pictures as well as Danny King from It's Just Two Movies. Of course, I have to mention that Brandon Stewart will be joining us on this episode once again. You all know him as Whole Boy. You know him as Tom Tickle. You know him as Ed Oz Imperius Emporium, shop owner. You know him as Nodnard the Unpleasant. Whatever moniker we want to go by for Brandon's silly ass, you've come to know and love him and his contributions to the show, so I feel like we have a very strong panel here. We are going to be discussing our five favorite films of 2022, providing some honorable mentions, talk about male and female performances of the year, as well as things that we're looking forward to in 2023. And don't forget, we always got to talk about our disappointments of the year on these types of lists, on these types of discussions. I'm sure some of us may have some controversial picks, and uh, we look forward to bringing that to you. I want to make mention that this week we are starting to wrap things up here on Season 1 of the ATI Podcast. Be sure to stick around at the close of the episode where we detail what the agenda is for the rest of the year and uh, some things impacting perhaps scheduling and 
and uh, what the plans are for the show. So the premise here is we're going to be listing off our five favorite films of 2022. There might be some layover and that will be addressed as needed, but everybody likes things for different reasons. So we're all just going to take the time to explicitly define, lay out our cause, our case for our submission to our top five and uh, why personally we enjoy the personal impact that the film may or may not have on us. Some of our interpretations of the film, you know, that's the beautiful thing about cinema is it impacts people in different ways. What might be something that really stuck with me in a scene or uh, with a particular character or an actor may not have landed with somebody else. So maybe you overlook something, you know, that's just kind of the way it goes. Busy lives, people overlook things in cinema sometimes. Sometimes they're subtle, sometimes they're not so subtle. Cinema is just one of the, another one of those forms of the arts that we glorify. Uh, there's a reverence, and uh, I'm a huge cinema freak, cinephile, if you will. Love movies, and uh, I just can't get enough of them. So I think it's pretty evident on the show to this point. Please stick around after the break, and you're going to hear our roundtable discussion on our five favorite movies of 2022. Hey, this is Josh from ATI Podcast. For show updates and news about the podcast, follow us on social media. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ATI Podcast 22, on Twitter at podcast underscore ATI, on Instagram at the ATI Podcast, on TikTok at ATI Podcast. DMs are always welcome. Have a question for the show? You can always email us at ATI Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Stay safe out there. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the ATI Podcast. We appreciate everybody tuning in this evening for the live feed on episode 49. Just to get some quick introductions out of the way, we've got myself, Barrett Lewis, as usual, and we've got Brandon Stewart, a.k.a. Nobnard, a.k.a. Tom Tickle, a.k.a. Whole Boy. You know him from all this shit that we do here in the flesh. And Mr. Danny King. It's just two movies. Hey, brother. Hey, what's up, guys? Doing some uh, good shit over there at It's Just Two Movies. I got the chance to listen to uh, Brandon's appearance in full not too long ago. Highly entertaining for sure. Oh, yeah. It was a fun time. Yeah, we had a good time. Get a little bit religion. <laughs> I could. Uh, I've been friends with Brandon long enough to know his different phases of drunkdom, and uh, they were all on display in that episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they definitely were. I, I went back and listened to it, and I'm like, maybe not drink as heavily next time around <laughs> yeah i think before we got started you were four or five trees <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Uh, good. uh you guys have probably recognized danny from our horror round table brandon also participated in that myself we're gonna have doug wicker from search party pictures on this episode at some point as well doug's running a little bit behind so when he hops in we'll get him caught up but yeah you know doug such a celebrity he's too big for us he's got to be fashionably late is he still in petty uh he is not in petty he is stateside now. No, he's back. Well, just wanted to make sure we were going to get, you know, like, you know, in his new movie that he's producing. Right. Uh, I wanted to make sure that, you know, we weren't stepping on his toes or anything. Yeah. Or or if there'd be a celebrity run in from Macron amidst his conversation, his feed. I wonder if he, I wonder if he had sex with Macron. I don't know. They got the whole dossier on his sex life. Apparently that's salacious. That's true. So <laughs> this isn't a political conversation. <laughs> so anywho. Today, we're going to be revealing our five favorite movies of the year. Each of us have prepared a list 
to talk about and make our case for. We're going to mix things up uh, today. There will be some crossover, I'm sure. I know that all of us have some similar interests when it comes to film, but uh, there's different reasons that people love things as well. So I think that I might be able to detail a movie why it's so special to me or the reason that I like it this year differently than how it impressed upon Danny or Brandon in this instance or Doug when he joins us. So that's kind of the idea. If we do get any crossover, uh, we're just going to try and talk on it differently. Amidst our discussion today, too, we're going to be throwing in picks for both male and female performances of the year. We're going to talk about our disappointment of the year as well. And then uh, maybe if we have some time, we'll talk about maybe a movie that we're looking forward to in 2023 that's coming out. If you listen to our 2022 Albums of the Year episode collab that we did with Waxing On, or listen to or watch the Hard Roundtable that we had previously, kind of the same format that we're following here tonight. So it'll be a little familiar, if you will. So are you guys ready to start talking movies? Hell yeah, boy. Let's get down to it. I was born ready. <laughs> All I was right. born ready. So why don't we start off, guys, with our number five on our list. What do you, Danny? Have it number number five for twenty twenty two. Come back to me, please. Okay, because I've I've got a I've got a tie for number five. I I tried to limit it to five, and I just I, I've got a tie there. And I'm sure one of you two guys has. Yeah, no worries, uh, Brandon. Why don't you go ahead and give us your number five then? We just believe in no structure here at the ATI podcast. <laughs> I believe everybody knows that uh, anarchy rules overall. We don't care about anything that has to do with politics. Absolutely, and mine are in no particular order whatsoever. But I will say, if we're if we're to break it down, uh, number five is going to be. I'm going to say Black Phone was my number five. Okay. Uh, it's been a while for me since I felt like anything was necessarily in those top tier horror icon or could be horror icons out there, and I think that that was definitely a terrifying, unsettling. I didn't think it was going to be that good. I think I was pleasantly surprised by it. I think that's yeah. the reason why I liked it so much. It's always unsettling whenever you bring kids into it. Right. But this just didn't give a shit. So much like the reasons why I like Terrifier and Terrifier 2, it's just unrelenting and not holding anything back. And then Ethan Hawke, I mean, is always, he's a contender for... Best actor of the year, in my opinion, every single year that he puts out a new film. I mean, he's he's been in the game a long time. I don't think he's gotten as much recognition as he should. Agree. He can be unsettling. He can be... I think the only thing that I've not necessarily cared for him in, which it, it's not that he didn't do really a bad job, but as of late, is the new Moon Knight. But because there was just nothing there. It's a weird character. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a weird. It's a weird play for. It's a weird play for Ethan Hawke for sure. I think that's that's more the the speed that I'm I'm not used to with him. But this just brought him back into a whole different level. He's a fucking creep. I think he's such a likable guy. It's hard to see him playing a you know bad guy, if you will. It's almost I unbelievable. Agree. But uh, I've heard nothing but good things about his performance in Black Phone. I actually haven't seen Black Phone yet, still yet. So. It's a lot of fun, man. I really liked it. Look, everybody's trying to do a, a fucking Stranger Things thing. And he he's one of the few that pulled it off properly without it feeling Stranger Things-y. That makes sense? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's got that same kind of like, you know, 80s, that, that I don't know, just that uh, that particular 
era of feel for it. It just, it works really well. Fun. Yeah. It's something that's on my watch list. I mean, admittedly, I probably watch way more TV shows than movies this year because my time was so limited with a newborn in the house and everything else. Oh yeah. It was hard for us to like dive deep into like, you know, two hour movie or whatever. We find ourselves getting through, you know, 30 to 45 minute episodes of things a little bit more easily. So (laughs) perhaps maybe a little ashamed of my list overall, but I'll go ahead and come in with my number five. Whoa, 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 whoa. I like to say that we have no structure here. So I do have a tie uh, that I just wanted to throw out there, Danny, if you want to uh, follow suit. X is definitely on my top five. X is uh, anytime (laughs) me and Barrett, I remember watching House of the Devil with Barrett for the first time. And we watched that together and we were automatically hooked to Ty West. Ty West is just a fucking genius. And then he comes out with a second fucking movie already made, you know, uh, with what's it called? Yeah, with Pearl. So it's it's one of those things where oh, <laughs> Doug from Patty. Doug from Patty is is with us on the call now. Doug, you're not you're not too late, brother. You barely made it. Are you, did you just get off the flight to the Netherlands? Are you doing the new uh, Lord of the Rings out there? Or is that? How's I that wish. Going? I wish. No, no, I just uh, ran over trying to get out of work. You're the new Samwise, right? So I'm getting that paycheck. Hell yeah! I'd be a lot worse than Samwise for a good paycheck. <laughs> it, it it would just be a porno at that point. Yeah, basically. So Doug Wicker is with us from Search Party Pictures now. I alluded to the fact he'd make a little late run in, and we've got Doug here, and we all kind of started on our number fives. But Brandon so rudely interrupted me before I could even get my number five out because he was too busy. He was too busy trying to blow up everybody's list by talking about X right out the gate. Two way tie. Oh my god. So Brandon. You were in the midst of talking about uh, getting ready to talk about Pearl. Let you finish that thought. No, I won't steal anybody else's thunder. I really love the film. It's Ty West. It's the best. And uh, Brittany Snow, you get to see her boobies. So that's pretty nice. That you do. It's a fact. All right, Mr. Doug Wicker, I know you're just hopping on here. Do you have a, your fifth pick that you could give us, Doug? Or would you like me to go ahead and go? Coming in hot. Um, <laughs> but, uh, so uh, The Banshees of Sharon is my fifth. Okay. So has uh, anyone got that on their list? I've got it on my list, but uh, I'll get into my reasons for liking it whenever it's my turn. Is it higher? It is much higher. <laughs> okay. All right. Then we'll hold and I'll talk about it when we get to yours. That's all good. My number five is Prey. I thought it was kind of a a surprise in some senses, because I think a lot of people didn't know how good this was going to be and really couldn't anticipate how good it would be. A lot of the Predator franchise releases, if you will, over the years have been lackluster, or they had a lot of potential and just didn't ultimately deliver. Like a movie that I actually enjoyed was Predators, and uh, but it did not live up to its potential that it laid out itself in its own film, I feel like. Right. I was getting ready to say that that Adrian Brody one's not bad, weirdly, uh, as somebody who's not a fan of Adrian Brody. Like, I'm just not... Not a huge fan. Um, I really like. I thought it was pretty strong, but Prey, back to that. I don't believe I saw any other movies uh, from this director previously. So Dan Trachenberg, I think is how you enunciate his last name. And just to kind of give the- Uh, Trachtenberg. Okay. To kind of give the synopsis of the movie, if you haven't seen it, it's set in the Comanche Nation about 300 years ago, and it's the story of Nauru, a young Comanche girl. And she's a fiercely skilled warrior. In fact, she's equal to, if not better than most of the male males in her tribe. But they're kind of dealing with that sexism even back then, where the men had to be the leaders and the women couldn't be. Well, she wanted to be the leader of her tribe. So it's kind of got its own little story going on there. They're kind of out in the Great Plains area, and they, there's, there starts to be a danger threatening their camp. 
some of their hunting and that sort of stuff. And they kind of miscast what it is. You know, originally they think it's a tiger and, or excuse me, a, a mountain lion, which they do have an encounter with at some point. But ultimately it ends up being the predator, a predator, I should say. <laughs> so, you know, it was a Hulu release too. It was $65 million budget for the movie. It's 99. Hulu's crushing it this year. Yeah. Yeah. They've had a lot of good exclusive releases. Uh, movie's 99 minutes long, not too long. So I think it's worth everybody giving it a try. And funny enough, I actually went back and watched the original Predator this year. And, you know, that's like an all-time favorite. And when you're a kid and you see that, you you think it's the most cool thing you've ever seen. And I didn't realize how bad some of the acting is in that because it's been a good 10 years since I'd watched it. It's bad. And and some of the dialogue is just horrific as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, things that I thought was cool when I was younger, revisiting it now with the more skilled eye for cinema, I guess, and appreciation for even things like dialogue in a film. It was it was quite the interesting trip down uh, memory lane, I guess. So I don't think I would probably have the same opinion of the original Predator today of seeing that for the first time versus where I was at my life when I first saw it. But this is a movie, I guess, in the in the long list of Predator related releases. So you've of course had Predator Two and the Predator versus Alien movies. Uh, I think this is as good, if not better, than all of them. The the acting performances are great. I mean, it's largely people of Native American descent as well were casted throughout this movie. So, you know, sometimes these movies get whitewashed and that sort of thing leaves a poor taste in people's mouths. But uh, another thing I got to commend this movie on is this historical accuracy. You know, the French fur trappers, the costuming and things like that. Like it was actually considered one of the most historically accurate movies from its set design and costuming and that sort of stuff as well. So really cool flick. I think it's a, it's a sleeper that a lot of people might be looking over and not even realize maybe that it's a predator film. Uh, but it is really good. Special effects are good. Stories good. Acting's fantastic. Costuming it, it it checks every box for me. So that praise is my number four for the year. Okay. I mean, there's some. There's definitely like my honorable mentions are full of just like great movies that maybe didn't reinvent the wheel, but did something interesting that was worth like you know putting down. Uh, for me though, Prey was like kind of like it was a reinvention of a film. It's kind of like one of those like you know as you said, as a kid, like I, I was, you know, the alien and the predator franchises were like Bibles to me. Like they were my star Wars, you know, so is a uh, fanatic as people can be about uh, star Wars. I am about that series of movies. I always loved the science fiction aspect, aspect, uh, aspect of it and how well it blends that horror so well, but the biology of the monsters is always so interesting and so much more. Uh, Definitely. I just felt a little, just slightly more immersive to me. Like, whereas like, you know, like a movie like Star Wars or a show like Star Trek, it's like a lot of world building and how interesting or weird are these worlds that we go to. Whereas like with this, it was interesting to take something and put it in a more familiar kind of space. You know, we recognize these places they're at, even if they're alien worlds, they're not so exotic, but they're unfamiliar. They still feel like something you could find and see. And to me, like you could always feel like the heartbeat of the film, like the creatures within. But more importantly than that, there are different types of films. Like, you know, the first part of their movie is very much a commando movie. Uh, that takes right. a turn and kind of goes a really interesting oddball place. But with that, it's like, you know, I also read those comic books and played all the video games. I was crazy about the shit as a kid. And the thing about the, uh, a prey was like, it's the story that like the fans of the comics and everything, it's the kind of thing we always knew it could be like every sense or ever since, like for as long as I can remember, there was that hint, that Easter egg that set up to like the pirate story of, you know, the right. Flint, the Flint pistol and shit. 
And like, you know, there's always that idea, like there's been predators for eternities, what that symbolizes. Like for as long as there's been mankind, there's been predators hunting us. So everyone's always wanted that story where it's like, what happens if you take one of those and you drop it in a different period into a period piece? Yeah. Like what kind of movie do you give? And more so, and more than anything, it's like they picked a perfectly capable, like I, you know, it's like always like I'd seen, you know, fan, fan fiction kind of art of like predators and like feudal Japan and stuff like that. And it's like, it always makes you like that much more hungry to like, you know, it's like the cool thing about the predator, he can be reinvented over and over again, even though the same actor played him in the first and second movie, he brought a completely different performance to both films. Like you can definitely tell in predator two that the predator's performance is a lot more like brash, a little more like youthful, a little more like risk taking and thoughtless as opposed to how like uh, measured the first was well-crafted. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like he's a little more rogue than the first one. And it's like, to me, it's like, it kind of tells you like, even though there are species, they're very different types of hunters. So like being able to see them actually fully really deep dive into this, it uh, really got me excited. And I remember when like it leaked that they were working on it and they just refused to refer to it as pay predator. Like they just wouldn't. And then, uh, but Whenever I found Trachtenberg, like he was a guy that's like I started following online like ten years ago, and because uh, he had a, a YouTube channel called uh, series called like Totally Rad Show, oh, okay. and they just kind of covered like movie news and shit like that. And he was like their movie, made a couple short films, and famously made the Portal No Escape short that went viral here like ten years ago. Yeah. Then he did Ten Cloverfield Lane, and he did that episode of Black Mirror with Wyatt Russell, and the dude's just a hit after hit. He did the season, he did the uh, pilot for the boys. Bangers. Yep. And I'm like, yeah. this dude, the, the dude just can't miss, man. Like, he just, I'm like, it was so when he was attached to the new Predator, I'm like, this is a perfect fucking combination of things. And they were alluding to it would be, in, you know, uh, Indigenous America, like dealing with like all this stuff. I'm like, this is, that's, that's how you make a film like that great. You put limitations on what you can do with the story instead of being like as open and like wide as you can make it. No, you put them in a pressure cooker. That's what you got to do. You got to take away things from them. And I think Prey really like, it gave me that kind of like exhilaration that you always wanted to see. It's about trying out some smart, something smarter than you. Cause it's not about being stronger than it. it's about fooling it into finally beating it. And it was just like a really refreshing movie that like, just, I mean, when it ended, I watched it twice in a week. I watched the original cut in English. And then I watched the Comanche cut subtitled like the week next week. And it's just, uh, it's one of those movies. It's like, man, it's like, this is, you know, it made me excited to go back to movies and the potential Definitely. of all these franchises that, we all love that feel like they might've ran out of steam, that there's some kind of life that maybe if you just kind of get rid of all the baggage and just start fresh, that you could do something interesting. And I think it's a proper time to say that the Doug is actually sponsored by prey. <laughs> he is doing the, the, the brand ambassador Fox, Fox search. Victoria and age of the France version of, uh, the movie that we're speaking of. So Renaissance period, huh? Kicking off two, two years from now. I was just going to say, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled that, that that autism wasn't the superhero you know what i mean <laughs> which predator movie is it where they're like oh the kid's autistic obviously he can outsmart the predator i was like oh my god that's, that's a really <laughs> way to handle it you know which one yeah. i'm talking about it was the one after predators which one was if that? there's a trope they can die it could it was uh the the predator from like 2018 2017 yeah, yeah i never watched that if there's like one trope they can die it's the autism special power thing i think it's super offensive and fucked up yeah <laughs> like, it's, it's like so oh he's autistic he can so talk to aliens up. it's like did shane black like, do that one yeah yeah he did that's what actually makes it that much more frustrating is like you know it's like not only was black in the first movie but he ghost write the rewrites on set like when yeah. they needed write rewrites done while they were on set shooting the first predator shane black was who was writing it like if they had like 
punch-ups on the day, Shane Black was who was writing. So a lot of those like really tasteless jokes, a lot of that like you know macho shit talking. A lot of it was Black coming up with that shit on the on set. Even though he didn't write the the main script that went into production, he was the guy who was like because they were developing Lethal Weapon. Right. So Joel Silver, that was his guy. So you know, that was what was the biggest letdown about the Predator is the fact that it's like here's the guy he's part of the OG DNA of this series. Of course, he's going to do a great job. One hundred percent. And then it didn't happen. And if it weren't for the nice guys, he would be on my like shit list, man. The nice guys are so fucking good. It is. It is for sure. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it okay, so let's just make sure where we're at here. So Doug has actually given his fifth and fourth. I've given my fifth. Danny was holding off because he had a tie. So let's go back to Danny. Yep. Yep. And I'm sure some of you guys might already have both of these on your list, but I've got Nope, directed by Jordan Peele, and Barbarian, directed by Zach Krieger. Or Krieger. Why does Why does kids you know? Yeah. Biggest surprise of the year for me, man. Oh, for sure. I think it is for everybody. I braided and I talked about that in Nauseam. So, Danny, give us a, give us some reasons that you've got Nope on your list to start, and then we'll, uh, we'll transition to Barbarian, because I'm sure somebody's got Barbarian on their list. Okay. So, nope, man, a lot of people are out there online throwing stones at nope. Uh, this is nuts. I thought, well, it, I think the, the part that upset everybody so much about it, this is a huge spoiler for nope if you've not seen it, uh, but the, the alien species, it's just like it lives in a cloud or it like emits a cloud around it, and it's a cloud. And a lot of people were like, hey, come on, man, what the fuck? And I think... That if you were to see an alien right. species, it would it would look nothing like you would expect right. it to in the first place. So by by the property of making it look like something that no one expects an alien to look like, you've actually you've actually done the the theory of evolution perfect justice. Now that's just creature design. As far as like how the movie is shot, how they develop right. the characters. Awesome. The storylines and the contrast between like Steven Yun and um, Daniel, uh, yeah, Daniel, Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, yeah. Oh my God, man. They're so fucking good because they're, 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 they're part of the same coin. They're even in the same fucking business. But Daniel Kaluuya has this deep respect for animals and understands what it means to actually break a creature and how to earn its respect. Whereas Steven Yun is just like, let's exploit right. this fucking thing. And you even get the the uh, throwback to, you know, when Steven Yeun's a child right. was on that TV show, fucking Gordy Goes Ham or whatever the fuck the name of that scene's called. That shit is fucking brutal. When that chimpanzee looks into the camera, shivers down my spine. So fucking good. So fucking good. That for me was the scariest part. Yeah, yeah. And then the way that they decide to be like, the way that they kind of suss out how to resolve their right. issue through the film uh, I thought was incredibly clever and well done. Uh, I really liked, uh, this is a very mild spoiler. There's a bit where the thing is like following them and it, it like essentially like vomits blood all over the house. My favorite scene in the entire that movie. Is probably. Pure, that's pure nightmare fuel. Like that's so good. Uh, just filthy, fucking dirty, nasty, fucking undercarriage, ball sweat, gross ass shit. With all this really Damn compelling <laughs> character development, man, I just I thought it was a really, really strong film and I enjoyed it a lot. And Barbarian, I liked because I'm a psychopath and I like being surprised. Uh, just a weird fucking it's like if you get on a roller coaster, like let's say you get on the Screaming Eagle and instead of just a regular roller coaster, it stops in that tunnel and a monster pops out of the wall and punches you in the balls. 
that's a surprise. <laughs> you might not like it initially, but the fact that it surprised you so much is like, I have to give credence to that, man. I just thought that movie was so much fun. I mean, it's bat, it's bat shit, but I, but I liked it. Yeah. I like, I like the fact that n- nobody's done that weird. That, like you remember the first time you ever saw Jeepers Creepers yes. and you're like, yeah. what the fuck is yeah. this? Uh, it it, it kind of captures that essence of like, well, we can really just do whatever we want then. Can't right. we? It's uneasy. Let's just say that. Let's just say it's a, it's a, it's a fucking weird monster. Uh, great. Yeah. I love it. Run with it. You know what I mean? Just fucking go nuts. Uh, and I, I just thought it was a super fun movie, man. I've recommended it to several people. Uh, we, we've yet to cover either of those on the show, but I think Doug's going to come on and we're going to cover no uh, sometime real oh, soon. Yeah. I was going to ask you guys, uh, and I don't know how you felt about this. I grew up uh, with a movie called Fire in the Sky that Definitely. was a mm. huge influence over my childhood. I mean, I had I lived in the basement at the time. I had my own room and stuff like that. It was great, and I ended up moving upstairs because I would um, – I had night tears, so I would sleepwalk and hide in like the shower upstairs and just be standing there like that. That really fucked me up. So whenever the part where they're going through the horse stables or Daniel Kaluuya is going through the horse stables and sees those kids that look like aliens. Right. That (laughs) truly, truly. I told Liz that fucked up the whole theater when I saw it. That that did not like for me. It's it's very difficult, just like everybody here, I'm sure, with horror movies to to surprise or scare the shit out of that fucking part. Wow, that just like I felt it again. Yeah, it's weighty. It's weighty. Yeah. It's just uh, like even when it's just kids out there fucking with him, it, it it's the misdirect, the the red herring or whatever. Actually, I guess that's not a red herring. Just the misdirect, I guess. Uh, just really well done. A good executed movie. I mean, um, Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele, I, th- I think he's great so far. I mean, I wasn't crazy about Us, but uh, I, I'm like teetering on the edge of I can't tell you which one I actually like more if I if I prefer Get Out or Nope because uh, I, I really really enjoyed Nope. I thought it was a really really strong film. Yeah, I think Us is just by itself. I mean, I may have differing opinions on that too, but I don't think it's the strongest film. But it definitely it's pretty badass for a fucking sophomore film. Yeah, it's uh, good still. You can't, a lot of people can't. It's a challenge. It's a challenging movie. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people can't say say that about their sophomore film, and then they they just rag on anybody that's fucking doing decent. Feels he just good. got. He's got. Uh, I don't envy the guy because you know, being in the position that guy's in, where it's like your first movie is not only like hugely successful, even critically, like you know, the Academy Awards recognized it all of the shit, the box office success of it, everything about it, but also culturally, like that movie made such a massive impact in the zeitgeist of the culture that like yeah. the, the, you're never going to top that. Like he will, he'll spend the rest of his career. Luckily he, it doesn't seem like he cares about that. You know, it doesn't, he's not chasing that. He's not chasing to repeat that success, which could be very dangerous. That's the only way he, that's the only way I think he could move on with your Absolutely. Career. Yeah. And, and I think had had he not come from an industry entertainment background the way he has, I think he probably could have easily fell into that. But he's been around enough people that can probably give him the kind of advice he needs to not do that. And it's, I'm glad that he's doing the things the way he's doing, but he'll never like people will always compare him to his first film. I think at least for the next 15 or 20 years, everything Peel does will come back to that first film. And rightfully so, because for all things considered, it's it's just damn perfect. Like it's hard to beat. But 
on the other end of it, it's like, you know, to be able to just separate, get out when you're having a conversation about his work. I think he's, his newer films are more challenging in a lot of ways. They change, you know, they subvert your expectations. Nope's on my honorable mention. I, I loved a lot of things about it. To me, the tone didn't always work the way I wished it did. Like, I, it, it didn't feel like it fully committed to one type of film, which is also what I enjoyed about it. It's a double-edged sword. It's like, I love that the third act just becomes Jaws. Right. That's just fucking <laughs> right. fun. It becomes like a totally fun-ass movie. Uh, you know, and so it's like there's the, you know lots of interesting, great ideas in it. I think he, it's a great film, and like you said, you know, like technologically, the day for night photography was mind blowing. I couldn't have, like couldn't wrap my head around how they did it. Since then, I've learned how they've done it, and I'm still in awe of like the thought process yeah. to do it that way. But yeah, that's not my thing. And so is, uh, so is Barbarian for the same reason. Just to keep it short, it's like Barbarian's just uh it was definitely the most what the fuck movie I've seen this year. Like I said, when I saw the Zach Gregor did, I was like, what? and then then, you know it's just definitely one of those the less you know the better off you are like it's definitely a a movie that's just like peeling back layer after layer after layer of surprises and if you spoil something for somebody it just kind of like takes a lot of the fun out of like the journey of it but yeah i I agree both of those movies are great i can i can talk about nope without fully spoiling it and i could even tell somebody what the hook of the film is and i feel like it still has watch value Barbarian is just, it's a hundred times more fun if you have no fucking idea what you're right. doing. And see, and see, the only thing that I would say is the second time I watched it, I liked it that much more. Maybe because I, because I think I saw that film. You just like that titty, don't lie. <laughs> I, yeah, that yeah. old dusty titty. Oh. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, I think the second time around and seeing people's reactions to it was my favorite part. So oftentimes that's what yeah. it is for a movie for me is sitting back and watching other people's reactions and them liking it as much as you do or not liking it as much as you do. I think it's, I think it's just a cool experience, the whole experience of film in general. But Absolutely. So uh, let's see where we're at. I think, Brandon, we still need to get a number four from you. We got one from Doug, and we got Danny's tie as well. So where, what do you got for number four, Brandon? Much like Doug was talking about before, um, where it's kind of almost cookie cutter in a way um, of, a, of a standard movie that you would do this, but uh, Significant Other. Significant Other was actually a really good film. That's probably the only thing that Paramount Plus has brought up that's decent. What about Blue's Clues? Oh shit! I forgot about <laughs> the multiverse Ooh. of blue. Oh god! Uh, well, so many fucking multiverses. I'll get on my rant about that here soon. But it's a fantastic film. If nobody's ever seen it, it's that switch and bait type of thing where it's husband. Well, has anybody else seen it? I here? have not seen it, but it's fine. You can go ahead. And yeah, I've seen it. Do your thing. Definitely going on their little trip, trying to get married, and or this. Uh, the husband or boyfriend in this is trying to propose to his girlfriend. She's not ready for commitment. They argue. uh, And it's very much uh, finding something in the woods and that thing taking over as a, taking it as a host and also has, I forget her name. She is the badass from it follows. Micah Monroe. I fucking love. Yes. The same chick from watcher. The guest, the watcher. I mean, phenomenal job every single time that she's in something. Oh, I just I just wanted to comment on that. Uh, I've seen Jake Lacey, who plays her boyfriend slash fiance or whatever. I've seen him in probably, I don't know, 10 things. Uh, this is this is the kind of role that that I have always felt like he just fits into. 
For sure. You know what I mean? Like the way that he gets like creepy and unsettling and shit like that. He's just got the face of a creep. Uh, somebody who's putting on a bit. It, it feels like, yeah, 100%. I think it wouldn't have been the movie that it was if it weren't for him being in there. It And the movie is a lot like, it has the feeling of, has anybody seen The Honeymoon or Honeymoon? Yeah, it's Honeymoon. Oh my God. Just, it has that same fucking feeling. And I'm just a sucker for those type of films, no matter what. And the creature creation and development that they do for the characters is just gorgeous. And all shot in beautiful locations. I mean, it was fantastic. Yeah, that was like on my list of movies I wanted to catch before we got here, but I ended up missing just running out of time. I'm really excited to check it out. I got an insane watch list too, and that was on there as well. I haven't got to run to that. Uh, what do you have at number four, Danny, on your list? All right, man. Might, might catch some flack for this, but I've got Weird, the Al Yankovic story directed by Eric Apple. I've heard good things about that. Man, it's a it's fucking blast. It's so much fun. It is just weird fucking bonkers out there. And as far as like comedy execution, like what's the funniest comedy movie you've seen in the last three years? It's a good question. I, I don't have an answer on off camp. Right. Yeah, you don't because there's not a lot of really good ones. And I, if you haven't seen it, it is for sure worth your time if you want to have a good laugh. It is... It's just, it's bananas. And I enjoyed every single minute of it. Yeah, it, it definitely, I I know a lot of people are going to hate on me for this. I never was into Weird Al. I never was. No, me neither. Uh, me neither. And I, I, I knew I knew it, but I was never like, oh, this is fucking awesome. Well, it was, a, it was definitely, if you said it to me, I would know, I would know Gangster's Paradise, right? Everybody knows Gangster's Paradise. Or uh, Amish Paradise. Amish. Amish Paradise. Yeah. But like. That whole film from start to beginning is just, or from beginning to end is making fun of itself. And Weird Al is making fun of himself that entire fucking movie. And I fucking love it. Well, I I read a thing where uh, Weird Al actually got with the director and writer. I think Eric Appel did both. I thought uh, Michael Uh, Showalter directed it. Michael Showalter? Maybe I misremember. I thought he was involved in the production somehow. Very well, might have been. Either way, they were they were going to sit down and talk about it. And he's like, listen, you know, Weird Al, this is I'm Weird Al. This is my one stipulation. Uh, just don't actually make it anything about my real life. Just run rampant with it. And it is so much fun. There's so many there's so many tropes that they <laughs> fucking just fist cram into it. And it's it's delightful, man. It's just a it's a it's a poke at the genre and a really a really delightful uh, parody. It's, it's good. I highly recommend it. Yeah, Weird Al. Me too. I definitely had a Weird Al phase in my like middle school years. I I seem to recall he had like a TV, like a primetime TV special where they like went through and played some of his videos and stuff, and he did some concerts and things like that. So you know, other ones that he was famous for was the Star Wars. Uh, Josh brought that up. He's on the chat tonight. And um, outside of that, the Star Wars one, the Anakin, my my, the Anakin guy. Maybe later to be Vader, if you guys remember that one, right? Yeah. And that was about the time, shortly after the, you know, the episode one had come out as well. So it, it, timing was good. I uh, did the Michael Jackson parodies too. So, you know, he, he had his time in place, I guess, you know. I'm not familiar with, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm not familiar with 90% of the body of his work. Yeah, I'm not either. I've always, I've always known him in the entertainment atmosphere, has never been my thing. And I, as somebody who couldn't really care, care less about Al Yankovic. 
this movie is phenomenal. Like it is just an absolute joy to watch. And they did it for Roku. Yeah. Yeah, the Roku channel. That that was weird too. <laughs> the funniest thing is I have Fire T- I have Fire TV, so I had to download the Roku app on Fire TV oh, to watch. Dude, you and my mom. And that's it. Nobody downloads the Roku app. Did you leave one of two reviews? I, I was like, for this, I'll do it. I was like, you guys, like, how else am I gonna do this? I guess here we yeah, go. It just—it's so stupid. It's right in the pocket for me. That's—that's that's exactly what I like. It's just so, yeah, just so stupid and and unhinged to just go. Yeah, you know what? Fuck it. Let's say he had a fling with Madonna. It just the absolute... fucking pool party scene is one of the most ridiculous <laughs> things. I love every fucking second of it. It's so stupid. Oh, it's dumb as shit. But it's, it's so dumb as shit, but I loved it, and I felt like Daniel Radcliffe was absolutely on fire just having the time of it. Yeah, it was kind of pretty fucking insane. I mean, I liked the guy anyways, but wow. Yeah, he's really trying to kind of wash his hands of the... Uh... Harry Potter stuff and and do more adventurous things. What I would love to have been a fly on the wall for his agent or whoever to contact him about that role and just see like the dilemma yeah. of whether or not I should take this. I just <laughs> would love to like if it was like an immediate yes, if he needed some convincing, if they sent him like a mixtape. Like I would just love to know the journey of Daniel Radcliffe becoming Weird Al. When I heard he was gonna be in it as Weird Al, I was like, how the fuck is that gonna work? But as soon as you see it on screen, you're like, God damn, he's a dead ringer. And it's like one of those choices yeah, that they're like, sure. Daniel, are you sure about this? Because your box office value is going to drop. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you're, you're purposely like bringing yourself to a type of production that people are going to be like, you know, nipping at the bud. You're becoming too niche, you know, you know? Yeah. I mean, I mean, he is becoming niche, but I kind of like him niche, you know, like yeah. he's, he's got some crazy roles. Swiss army, man. Was another good one. Yeah, I'll be honest with you, man. A, a lot Guns of Akimbo. a lot of his, a lot of his body of work, I either like liked because it was so off kilter for him, or I just didn't care for it. Like I've never really been big on Harry Potter. I didn't mind Guns Akimbo. It was a little lacking a little substance, but it was still fun. Yeah, it was a little sloppy. Uh, Swiss Army Man, I enjoyed quite a bit. Um, and what's what's that? Uh, horns is that what it's called? Where he's he's growing yeah. horns or whatever. That one was all right. I didn't I didn't mind that. I actually didn't, you know, a lot of people knocked on that one because it didn't follow the book or whatever. I mean, oh, I don't okay. know how to read. So I actually liked it whenever we saw it at Fantastic Fest, Doug. I don't know if you went to go see it or not, but yeah, I, I did. I, saw it. I don't remember if we're in the same screening or not. I liked it. It didn't follow the book, though. Yeah. Like Black Phone did a better job of adapting Joe Hill, but. Well, I've never been able to read, so I don't have that bias. <laughs> I'm illiterate. So, yeah. That's what Audible's that for, problem. man. Just have someone <laughs> read to you. And then you go like, oh, <laughs> it's this, it's this thing, Danny, where you listen with your, oh, you got a headset. There you go. Sorry, and they, they talk back to you. You don't talk into it. It's weird. I like how you're talking to him. Like he's Helen Keller. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you get like Liam Neeson reading to you or Woody, uh, Woody Harrelson. Not Woody <laughs> oh God. If you want Woody Allen, listen, you just have to get an underage girl involved. So anywho, on to number four. Hey. hey. Uh, number four for me, uh, we've kind of already talked on these movies uh, a moment ago, and that is, I, I, it's a tie for me, and that's going to be X and Pearl. Uh, I can't differentiate the two movies. Uh, you know, basically were shot at the same time. A lot of people didn't know that. It came as a surprise, you know, whenever they said the Pearl's coming out in the fall, uh, and X had debuted in the spring of this year. So I'll just give a little quick synopsis on each movie in case you haven't seen it, runtimes, and some of that more particular stuff that we didn't hit on 
hit on earlier. Pearl, and I'm going to actually kind of do it chronologically in time, even though Pearl came out later. Uh, Pearl is set in 1918. A young woman on the brink of madness pursues her stardom in a desperate attempt to escape drudgery, isolation, and lovelessness in her life on her parents' farm. And then X, the synopsis of that is in 1979, a group of young filmmakers set out to make an adult film in rural Texas, but their reclusive elderly hosts catch them in the act, and the cast finds themselves fighting for their lives. So Pearl, uh, like I mentioned earlier, it came out in the fall, September 2022 this year. Uh, Runtime's an hour and 42 minutes. Budget was $1 million, and they made 9.4 at the box office. So more than made up their money. And just the acting of Mia Goth in that movie alone is worth the price of admission. Uh, she puts on a clinic, and uh, she definitely stands out more so in Pearl than X. X is more of an ensemble presentation, in my opinion. Pearl is very centric around her and that character specifically. So, and, uh, you know, this is kind of a spoiler if you haven't seen these movies, but Pearl turns out to be one of these elderly hosts in X. So getting to X, Mar- that came out in March of this year, 106 minutes. Uh, it also had a $1 million budget and it made 15.1 million at the box office. So again, it murdered, you know, 15 times the amount of its budget. And so that would be considered a success. And it's really hard to make R-rated movies and then to be an overwhelming success financially uh, in many instances. But, uh, you know, Ty West being the director, we've all talked about it. We're fans of him and his worth. And then, of course, in X, Brandon mentioned this earlier, Brittany Snow, wink, wink, not none, uh, Mia Goth. And then you get to see Kid Cuddy's tire iron. So if you're into that sort of thing, he's got a knee slapper, boys. And uh, my wife was drooling when that scene came on. I don't know about yours. Jenna Ortega is also in this. (laughs) So I think it touched his toes. Pretty sure. Damn near. Damn near. I love a good slasher type movie. Uh, X definitely fits that genre and in some respects. And uh, I like it has its bat shit crazy moments as well. But a lot of the gore, the kill scenes, the stabbing scenes were right up my alley. A lot of excessive and the you know practical effects were used at times too, which I always have an appreciation for. But yeah, I'm really excited. They're going to be coming out with a third installment for this franchise, Maxine, I think perhaps this year. Uh, so really looking forward to that. And I believe that that's essentially going to be the story of Maxine once she has uh, escaped the tragedies that took place in X. So that is my number four. Everybody's got their number four so in, right? That's a great pick. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to spitball something off you were saying, Barrett. One thing that I that I found to be really, really impressive about those two films, like back to back, is that Pearl is such a wild departure from x like it almost definitely it almost doesn't even read as as a prequel if you didn't know about the story like the story related stuff and the casting and stuff like that if you had just seen the movie separately five years apart let's say you might never connect the dots because the the production of pearl with the musical numbers and how she's kind of fanciful about it and of course there are callbacks that's what helps that's what helps them you know that connective tissue uh, but man, just the, I thought the, the, like the overall, like even just the style in which it was put together scene to scene, how they, right. how they made Pearl versus how Mia Goth is cast in X as Maxine. They're so wildly different and they work so well. Uh, just thought it was re- really impressive. I really, really liked them and I had a hard time not putting them on this list, but I, f- I figured somebody else would bring them up. So. 
Pearl 2 has a lot of homages with some of the shots, some of the editing transition scenes, some of the framing of the characters at times. There's a lot of 50s TV and 60s TV uh, riddled throughout Pearl. And that's another reason that I like it uh, as well. It's got kind of that nostalgia feel, but it's 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 kind of done in irony. A, it's trying to give you that nostalgic old-timey feel on purpose, but also the fact that you're seeing her take a pitchfork to a fucking duck and just murdering it straight up, you know, in the, in the same scene. So it's not something that you would see uh, in those viewing experiences in the 50s and 60s too. So there's a lot of irony uh, rubbed in there. So now that everybody's got f- five and four in, I wanted to jump to one of our other discussion topics just to break up the list talk. And I would like to talk about everybody's male performance of the year. Who do you think is a standout performance from a male actor this year? You can make a case for anybody for any reason. Uh, it doesn't matter to me. And I will start with Doug. Doug, who do you have as your male performance of the year? You know, I think really, you know, we're right up on the cusp of the Academy Award nominations being announced. And I would definitely not be shocked to find Colin Farrell uh, getting best. 100%. You were going to say Kit. I thought you were going to say Kit Cuddy's penis. <laughs> he gets all the awards for sure. I think Colin Farrell <laughs> definitely is like up there. In my honorable mentions, I have the unbearable weight of massive talent. I think that's definitely like a cage in that movie could be easily be a gimmick. But I think he brings like a kind of levity to that performance and in a way that only like it's a very smart performance and it's super well done. It's not him just playing himself, but I think that'll fly over a lot of people's heads. So that would be, you know, a, a choice that I would make, but I don't think it'll connect with people that way. However, I think that um, uh, Pedro Pascal was fucking absolutely delightful. Yes. In it. Like I think because he charms you in such a way that's so pure and innocent that it makes the movie just move so much. I mean, you're just, you're more committed because you really don't want his feelings to be hurt and you believe in him the way, like almost like he's a five-year-old in the grown man's body. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, well, those, those two absolutely fantastic. I would also, you know, can't get enough of Daniel Craig is performances as Benoit LeBlanc. Benoit Blanc. Yeah. I that fucking accent as soon as it starts up. I'm just like, I'm here for you. Sign me up. Give me five more of those, man. 100%. Yeah. I, I take, yeah, I take another twenty of these, man. Yes, I, honestly, I mean, not to talk about movies in this category, but it's just that man does no wrong with that rule. No, dude, the murder mystery is on a renaissance, man. We're gonna start getting more. There's uh, a lot more video game murder mystery uh, stuff coming out recently, uh, much like the following suit to the Pinocchio renaissance. Uh, now we're now we're getting in, in murder mystery town, and I'm you know, I'm here for it. I'm, I'm loving it. Yeah, I don't want to also dismiss. I think Brendan Gleeson has got a lot of weight too for sure. That same, you know, just I feel like equal other side of there. the coin for sure. Yep, and he does something that's probably even more difficult to do than what Colin Farrell does. So, Barry, you're gonna talk shit about me putting saying two movies tied, but then this motherfucker is gonna name every goddamn fucking male performer this year. He said honorable mention. Yeah, at least he qualified it. He said like three. <laughs> no, I, I called out one just legitimate. Came from France? I came. I gave one legitimate, and then some honorable mentions. Oh yeah. Well, we asked for this stuff. Thank. I you. just want to acknowledge some of the activity that we have going on, on Twitch from our listeners right now. You know, there's a lot of folks that are really commenting on Kid Cudi's cock. Great music, but even better tire iron. I like that line from GG Sounds. Beautiful. Yeah. Very, very fantastic. I, I'm all about that. Yeah, so Kid Cudi's Tire Iron is, is a big hit with the audience, guys. Yeah, he can fucking crush beer cans with that thing, you know what I mean? Just Without question. I mean, yeah. 
I mean, if you see it, I mean, there's no looking away. <laughs> I'm going to second Doug's male nomination. That's who I have down, Colin Farrell. But I also want to take in consideration it's it's obviously for Banshees, but you have to think he was in the Batman this year in an unrecognizable performance, which was incredible as the Penguin. Uh, also, after Yang. After Yang is the drama of the year, as far as I'm concerned, and it is 100% carried by Colin Farrell and is a fantastic A24 joint. If you guys haven't seen it, check it out. But he his acting in that is fantastic as well. But the, what he does in Banshees of Inner Sheeran is just remarkable. And I understand he has a good cast of characters to work with. Brennan Gleeson is opposite in the film. And... Uh, you know, these guys can do no wrong. You know, the chemistry that they have is unmatched. I know that Brandon and Danny recently covered In Bruges on Danny's podcast. It's just two movies. You know, they talk about the chemistry there on that episode as well. But these two actors together, I hope this isn't the end of it. Because every time that they've worked together opposite one another, it's been complete magic. And uh, I'm here for it every time. Yeah, same thing with uh, Billy Keegan, Kogan. Kogan? Is it Kogan? Keegan. Yeah. Okay, I'm I'm getting mixed with you. All right, we'll go with Keegan Cogan. Him also phenomenal. And uh, I watched an interview where he was talking about uh, how much Colin Farrell has like helped him, and he sees him as like this big brother figure, and they kind of pal around and stuff like that. And I think I think the three of them together collectively work really. Yeah, for sure. And his performance in that in a supporting role is pretty underrated too. Subtly, he he comes off as very annoying, obviously, at first, but subtly you start to feel for him more and more as you understand his backstory. And uh, you see moments of him actually, you know, being a sweetheart of a person as well. And it, it really rounds out his character even more. So it adds a lot of depth to his character in the film too. So Barry Cogan's character in that is uh, is one to watch as well. Brandon, who do you have for your male performance of the year? Um, well, we're starting a trend. I think it's just going to go to the very end. I, I think I've loved Colin Farrell for many, many, many years, uh, even before in Bruges. But I think that right now, just his diversity in his roles and what he has done this year alone. I, and yeah, we've mentioned all these things about Banshees, but it, it is a thing between him and um, Brendan Gleeson because they're perfect to, together. Like I, that would be my one and two is because they're just, they riff off of each other so well. It's so natural. You can feel, you can feel it whenever you're, you're watching them perform together. And it's, I don't, I don't remember seeing him in a role where he's played like this insecure dummy on a, you know, I mean, it, he's just so good at it. And I don't think that there's ever been anything that I've, truly hated that he's been in i i think he's remarkable and at first whenever i heard about oh well there was a 15 standing 15 minute standing ovation for him and right and i was like okay well you guys are kind of killing it for me but watching it i mean he's a i mean he's an artist i love it and anytime that billy kogan is in keegan kogan has ever been in anything as of late i mean he's on fire fucking creepy weirdo or goofy dumb idiot like but he fills those roles so well and then goes and does a film with with um colin farrell again and does the batman right and has a little snippet in there too with him being the joker i think both of those guys and brendan gleason brendan gleason should go down as a fucking icon i think he's amazing in anything he does and father of Domel gleason too another fine actor all right, gentlemen. Uh, Danny, do you have anybody specifically that you want to call out for male performance of the year? Well, 
I'd like to say that I knew that all of you were going to pick Colin Farrell. Uh, and I did have a sneaking suspicion it would come up between someone here. Uh, so I just went all in on Daniel Radcliffe as fucking Weird Al Yankovic. Okay. I, I just fucking, he's having so much fun. And is it the best, uh, like, best overall acting performance? I, man, I really don't know. I, I don't think so, to be frank. But it is, yeah. in my opinion, one of the most breakout off-type characters that he's ever played. And I was very, very surprised. Yeah. That's what, uh, yeah, that's I, what I, I respect it. Performance of the year. I don't think so. I think I'd probably have to give it to Ralph Fiennes uh, for the menu. Yeah, Ralph Fiennes is, uh, is something else in the menu, too. Let's, uh, let's move on back to the list, guys. So we're going to go with our number three picks now. And uh, while we're on you, Danny, let's just go with you, Danny. What do you got at your number three? Uh, Banshees of Inishirin. <laughs> is that higher or lower for you, Barrett? Uh, that's closer to my where I have it <laughs> than Doug was. Still not quite there. Uh, really good, man. I, I, I mostly was impressed with how fucking hilarious it is and how dark it gets. And yes. I like, I, there's a really nice balance there because the humor that is in it is pretty light for the most part. It's, it's the things that are funny about it are like, they're very juvenile. They're almost a little juvenile how they're, they're quaint. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but then you've got, I don't want to spoil any of the, the hook for this though. When Brendan Gleeson makes a promise and starts to fulfill it, it gets real dark real fast and yes. uh, the closer you get to the ending, it just, it becomes this really, what you thought was kind of a like, ha 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 ha. Uh, it turns out that it's not, it's a, it's a, it's a march into some pretty sad shit. Did anybody else feel this way when they were watching it? Like, I felt like you knew that eventually Brendan Gleeson was going to deliver on that promise. However, you just, it you never felt like it was coming. You know, like they, they teased it all along. It kept giving Colin Farrell's yep. char- character these second chances, second chances. And then eventually he decided to enforce it. Just uh, it was like a hard left turn at that point. Like Danny said, it was definitely a mood change. The temperature changed in the room for sure. And you could see it in his character, too. And it feels like an old wives tale or like a Greek, Greek tragedy in some ways where it's 100 percent. It's like a lesson is to be learned from this. And. I think that that's why I love it so much. And I did not include that on my list because I knew everybody was going to pick that. So I can feel Danny on that. I think it's number one for me overall, just because I, like I've told Danny within Bruce, it's my number one movie of all time. I, it's just the, the amount that I can watch something over and over and over again is just a pleasure. And his dialogue, man, is unmatched in Banshees. Unmatched. It's, he's perfect at it. I mean, especially in comedic performances. Perfect. Yeah. And they, they really get down. So the Banshees of Interference, of course, set in the 1920s, there's civil war going on and it's all, it's a, but that is just a backdrop to the story, which is, it seems odd that these people's lives could potentially be in peril the entire time, but they're kind of isolated on a little Island off the coast, but you can see, you know, cannon fire in the background and everything else. It really adds a complexity to the temperature and the mood of the movie as well. I think so. It's a strong, strong flick for sure, without question. I also want to give it up to uh, Carrie Condon in that film uh, playing Colin Farrell's sister. Uh, right. She was great, too, and she's not in it very long. But Fantastic. She, she, brought a lot of, uh, she brought a lot of personal touch to something that otherwise would have been. 100%. It would have felt just there as it was like decorative, but she, she feels 
natural. They have good banter. You believe their relationship. They just, uh, they work really well together. I, I thought she was great. And fully yeah. in the story. There's never a point where you forget about oh, her. Yeah, yeah I mean, sure. one of my favorite scenes in the whole film is her and Barry Keegan on the side of the, like, I guess, lock or whatever you want to call I it. I love it. When he's talking, you know, he's telling her uh, how he feels about her. And it's interesting because, like, it's, you know, there's almost no women in the movie. And it's interesting to have that complexity. I mean, this year, like later on, one of my other films, it, it, there's a moment like this too, where there's little moments in a few films that I've seen this year where there's like this interesting uh, humanity that you, they don't really like spend a lot of time on, but it's kind of like exposes things about us as people. That's always interesting. And to me, it's like the film, he's, you know, her sister or she's a sister. She's not really like, you know, she's a plot device to try to fix things. But in that scene, it's like no one has ever like, you know, it's interesting because it's like you see her being desired and that's something that's not present in the rest of the film. And it, right. it's really interesting because it's also very realistic with that few women that would definitely be such an awkward and appropriate kind of interaction. Oh, yeah. And uh, I just thought that was kind of interesting that they didn't spend a lot of time on it, but it definitely hit like a nice other side of the coin to that story that, you know, you wouldn't got like it was, I love that they have that and it humanizes, you know, um, Mary Keegan's character pretty significantly right. for what ends up happening. Right, because for the for the first whole half of it, you're like, this guy's a fucking shithead. You know, what oh, I mean? like he's yeah. very he's very like throwaway. Like, oh, he's the he's the village asshole. It's just what he is. He's just a little creep. Great writing is always about making sure that your characters' wants and needs are established, and you need to you have to no matter how insignificant the character is, they all want something else. There's no point to have them there. And that was a great opportunity to take a character who's like you you think you understand, but add complexity to him in a way that you aren't ready for. So, right. you know, yeah, I mean, Martin McDonough just can't mess, man. Like the guy just fucking I agree. home run every time. Yeah, I agree for sure. And this, this to me, I know Brandon and I talked about it. Banshees is, in my opinion, the closest that he's going to get to Ember Rouge for me as far as favorite movies of his. But, you know, it's like splitting hairs and splitting frog hairs, if you will. Oh, we're getting to a point where it's. It's like, I don't know. It's like you get five, like four perfect movies. Like, how do you fucking top them? Right. Exactly. All right. What do you have at number three? Doug. Uh, number three, I have Watcher. Uh, okay. From Chloe Acuna. Not the Watcher on Netflix, but right. the Michael Monroe movie. Uh, I mean, honestly, like I went into it, like hearing great things. I was kind of nervous. It would just be a rehash of Rear Window, kind of like Disturbia yes. or a lot of these like. I saw something I shouldn't see thrillers you get, but right. there was, a, it added a layer of interest, you know, interesting uh, choices made like by placing it in Budapest and like putting her in an alien environment, isolating her socially and culturally, I think was a really interesting choice. I think Bern Gorman's such an interesting actor. He is one of those faces and presences that's kind of uh, yeah. stoic and very stark at the same time. Like you look at him, he stands out, but he also can be threatening or, you know, uh, enlightening, depending on how you cast him, how he presents himself. He can be a wonderfully like, delightful actor to watch and funny. But right. then when he can also be like this kind of character where it's like him just watching you is enough to like make you feel alarmed about what you're doing. But the film has such an interesting pace and such a real incredible way of continually pulling, like pushing the envelope just a little further. Like as soon as you start to like settle into the type of movie you think it is, they move the, they move the goalpost a little bit for you. And ultimately, like I really like came coming back to this list. I was like, okay, like I really like, I guess ultimately want to select movies that made an emotional, physical impact on me. Like at some point yes. during the film, I literally felt something unique and different. Um, you know, there's so many good films this year. Like there's, uh, we're no, it's just been one of those incredible cinema years where like 
just constantly. It was so fucking hard to like whittle down five movies because there's so many of them. Yeah. Even in our honorable mentions on you guys' list, you have so many great choices. But I wanted to really like, you know, with this one, it was like that third act and the way the movie call it, like climaxes and finishes is it left my jaw dropped. I couldn't believe the choices that were being made. They felt like massive risks. They felt like things I haven't seen before. It fucking literally shocked me in a way I hadn't been shocked in a while. And with that said, it just left like literally the last like eight to 10 minutes of the film will just just fucking rocks you. Yes. And I love that about it. Yeah, I actually just watched that here in the last two weeks or so, I want to say. And I know we had. After you'd just seen it, Doug, you asked me if I'd seen it. We little DM and back and forth. I believe yeah. the, the movies, the film's edited by somebody from St. Louis, is it not? Is that right? Yep. Yeah. 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 Uh, shit. Michael Black, I think. Okay. He's friends with Andy and uh, those guys. Yeah. I think you may have even done an episode of the podcast with them on Destroy the Brain. So I, I, I was like a little apprehensive too initially, you know, going to see this movie because I think a movie with Amy Adams with a similar concept had come out here in the last year or so as well, which yep. I never watched. But I was confusing the two of the movies and I was like, um, I don't know. I don't need to see another movie trying to be rear, rear wow. window. But it's definitely got the window or something. Yeah, it's definitely got the homages to Hitchcock and his work, but it's its own thing at the same time. Yeah. Not a lot of dialogue in the movie overall, too, if you take that in consideration. But uh, yeah. to me, it was a perfect marriage of Christopher Nolan's following and, yes. and Rear Window. Yep. So, and those are both fantastic films. Because clearly Akuna's VHS segment, the Ratma thing, couldn't be more different than this. They're so radically different. Right, right. For sure. All right, Brandon, what you got at number three, sir? Uh, number three uh, is Speak No Evil. I, I know that this was on a lot of uh, top lists for the year. Uh, it was for horror films. This is, it felt very real to me and very uncomfortable. And like Doug said, you know, and I think we can all say this too, we're of the movie watchers that aren't necessarily out there for just a good time but something that will impact us in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. Speak No Evil, having come from uh, Europe, for lived there for three years, and already feeling like an alien to a new land, it's very... You can fall into these traps of the niceties of people and think that they seem like your best friend now. Oh, great. And then you start to notice things that are a little bit off. And those bells in your head start clicking or start dinging. And it's, have any, any of you guys seen it yet? I have not seen that. And I have not, not seen yet, Watcher, no. So I have added both of those to my list since we've been sitting here. It is, yeah. It essentially, it's a family that meets on vacation uh, with another family. They're like, hey, let's get your number. Or let's talk later. Uh, and then they end up visiting. Oh, it's got John Cena in it. I've seen this shit. Yeah. That's a joke. They're not all home runs. It just leads to this. There's no happiness whatsoever. And it just leads to this grotesque end. It just really hit me hard. I mean, it it really surprised me. I did not expect for that much darkness to interlude and that much realness. Yeah, that movie didn't really land on my radar until the last couple of weeks. I just saw the trailer in the last two or three weeks, I want to say. So I uh, haven't gotten around to watching that one yet, but that's definitely something that's on my watch list. I've heard a lot of good things. It, it's on my list, but it's kind of what I call the Requiem for a Dream list, which is the when I'm ready to like fucking destroy my mood. Yeah. <laughs> that's basically like the three people I know that have, have really, really like gotten deep with me about it. 
without spoiling anything beyond like your 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 pitch right there, Brandon, like what you said. Yeah, I don't all of give you. A, yeah, yeah, all of them are like it's it's literally like funny games level of uh, like cultural fuck you know fucking with you like you know what's acceptable to do, what's not acceptable, and I understand that it's like a lot of it's like two different European cultures clashing, and then. Um, but yeah, like everyone has been like, it is one of the nastiest, meanest movies that I've seen. And that like, you shouldn't watch it if you're expecting to like have a, a good a good time. And, you know, when you're done, like to just kind of like go home and go straight to bed or whatever, then instead you'll have to probably like have a minute to decompress. Well, and what's wor- even more fucked up is I have something worse than that on my honorable mentions that I would feel guilty putting it on my top five if I did. <laughs> so... It's, I could guess. Yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> that have been out. All right, so I'm going to give my number three now, and then uh, we will talk about our female performances of the year, as well as a disappointment for us of the year after that. So my number three is Mad God by Phil Triplett, a movie that essentially took almost three decades, I believe, in making, well over 20 years. The synopsis of Mad God is uh, equipped with a gas mask and a crumbling map. The assassin. An ironclad humanoid descends into the into rusty peril of the underworld with grime, blood, and unsettling monstrosities. As the stealthy invader meanders through the labyrinth of a post-apocalyptic wasteland on a mysterious mission, going deeper and deeper into a nightmarish realm, the assassin gradually reaches his final destination, the heart of this grotesque tower of torture. But what cruel, vindictive deity allows fear and suffering to take take its most complete creation further and further into despair? Only a mad god would revel in humankind's ordeal. Uh, that's just kind of the synopsis of the movie, the byline of the movie, if you will. I'm just going to get more personal with what, why I like it. And that is that the universe building that, that is done in this movie is just absolutely insane. It's all kind of stop motion animation type stuff. And it's just the descent. The movie starts with the descent of the assassin down into lower levels of realms. And I'd say it's a good 20 minutes. I don't know if anybody else has seen it. Brandon, I know you've seen it. Yeah. And it just the timing of just that descent in all of these different layers to the earth that you're seeing is just remarkable. And as he starts to encounter one creature and then another creature, so there's different types of humanoid creatures and uh, various types of creatures that he comes across as he descends down further and further. And I think really just the uh, impression that you're supposed to get as a viewer, there's a lot left for interpretation. There's definitely religious overtones. You know, it starts off with a quote from, I believe it's Leviticus. Yeah, Leviticus 26. And it's uh, it's essentially depicts God had to say to the people post the Tower of Babel incident. And uh, it's it, it, it really depicts that wrath, wrathful God, if you will, in the Old Testament. And that's kind of what this film piggybacks on is that, you know, at, and it seems like something that's not too far distant in the future for us, quite frankly. But, you know, civilization yeah. is met its demise and what little's left behind is trying to put the pieces back together. And it's just it is a trip. This movie is a trip. It's an hour and 24 minutes, I believe. Yeah, it came out over the summer on Shudder. And without Shudder, I don't know that we get movies like this, you know? So, yeah. I mean, I got to make my 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 commercial here for Shudder right now. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of films that get put on Shudder that always end up in my top, you know, 10 or five movies of the year that I don't think would have gotten backing otherwise or exposure otherwise. Yeah, I mean, yeah I'm glad that they kept it going along because Shudder 
there for a while was just, you know, just a collection of horror movies, but right. then they started producing. Yeah. I mean, it's like, as long as, as long as they've been running, I mean, they definitely, their subscriber base has grown and they're being smart about the films they are putting on there and they're able to get films that I wouldn't expect. Like in my honorable mentions, I have uh, resurrection. Have you guys seen that with Rebecca Hall and uh, Tim Roth? Yeah. Like absolutely. talk about just a fucking absolutely bonkers ending. I could yeah. not trying to, I could not imagine trying to pass that movie off as a mainstream release in any capacity like that ending would have 90% of the crowd pissed off and leaving. However, people like yeah. those, it's like, fuck, I need more of that. This just punched me right in the fucking face. But with that Definitely. said, yeah, I mean, yeah. They, they've, they've always hand curated. Like they, it's not based on an algorithm. It's people out here really just like working hard to find homes that they think that their people would want to see. And recently with that said, like, you know, I, I know I'm, I'm talking to, you know, you guys, some of you probably already know this, some of the listeners, future listeners, Shutter's recently going through a lot of fucking problems. They almost like literally like closed it down real recently. Yeah. And so like, it's one of those situations where it's like they have a subscriber base and they're doing fine, but AMC is not sure about what to do with them. So it's one of those things like if you haven't subscribed, man, you're really fucking missing out. It's like $4 and 99 cents a month. It's like the cu- less, it's less than a cup of coffee at, at Starbucks, man. Like, you know, there's there's films that are like evergreen on there. Like at any given time, for like the last four or five, I've had it since they launched it. Right. And at any given time, you could jump on there and watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Or it's you know, there's some films that are just on there forever. Uh, Mandy's on there forever. So it's right. like you know, you, you know, there's films you can just come back to time and again, and then they're always evolving and adding. And you know, you know, sometimes they do have to lose things, but they're always kind of coming back and getting like shit that you want to see. They're curating stuff. It's totally fucking worth five dollars. I agree totally. And uh, Mad God is just an uh, otherworldly film. And, you know, kind of back to some comments that you made earlier, Doug, too. And, and, and Brandon made these comments as well. Is like, you know, we've seen so many movies. We're looking for movies to have an impact on us. This movie has like no dialogue in it whatsoever. It's left up to a lot of interpretation, although there is a lot of literal things going on on the screen. But uh, it's been a while since I've seen a movie. And it really had a unique impact on me like this film did. I would actually, I know earlier you guys said a lot of incredible movies have come out this year. I probably haven't watched as many as you guys. I mentioned in the open the show, I've been kind of stuck on TV shows myself with a newborn around. But actually this year was a little difficult for me in some senses to put lists together because I didn't feel like I saw a lot of original films or films that had a great impact on me. And those are my qualifiers for putting, you know, a movie on my list and where it ranks at also. So. I want to say I have sat down to watch Phil Tippett's Mad God four fucking times and not once have been able to get more than three minutes into it. And I, something comes up and I have to have had to fucking turn it off. So I'm, I'm, you've got me more amped to watch it now. So we're going to do attempt number five here in the next couple of days. Super short, Danny. It's, it's super short. It's like just over an hour. It's a because it's stop motion. Like you know, they're never really long movies. With that said, Bear, I personally I watched it last year. Was it last year for Fantastic Fest is online? Thing? Yeah, or was it, it this it, year. For it debuted on a film remember. festival. I know. Yeah, I ended up doing the online thing, and it, it played one of them, and I watched it, and I can't say I loved it. I, I'm honestly very stoked that you did though, because like you know, it's really truly a, a labor of love. It was one of the grossest movies I've ever seen, which is fucked up because I love gross movies. Right. 
<laughs> like, like I love some greasy strangler. I love shit like that. But for some reason, like the amount of like diarrhea and like bodily fluids, I was just like, man, I can't fucking do this. So, but because because of because of your high praise, I'm going to literally give it another chance. I'm going to try my best. Please, please do because that gave me a lot of inspiration just for doing the shit that I do. Like it's it's inspiring. The scene where they're digging inside the assassin when he gets captured and this isn't really giving anything away. That alone, just the the probing of his insides and the things that they're pulling out in mass and in quantity is absurd, but also it's like one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen in a movie. So, yeah, like yeah, it's it's wild. It's a I like I'm I'm convinced this motherfucker has like burnt his brain out on acid or something like there's no reasonable explanation yeah. to how can you come up with this? I don't know, but I love it. And I feel like, in many ways, this is going to pivot in a different discussion later. It's probably going to get everybody pissed off at me. I would have liked to seen this guy's take on Hellraiser if this is the type of shit that he's going to produce all the time. Like, oh, I would love you that. Know, that would you be know, fantastic. Tippett, if you would have gave me a Phil Tippett Hellraiser circa 1990, yeah, I would have been all in on it. But he was doing Jurassic Park for like five fucking years, so you know we got that at least too. Yeah. Okay, guys, let's talk about female performance of the year because I kind of glossed over that earlier and then we'll get to a disappointment of of this year for ourselves. Uh, I'm just going to start this off because I kind of already made this comment earlier and that's Mia Goth is my female performance of the year. Her monologue at the uh, toward the end of the movie with her sister-in-law sitting at the dinner table is one of the most captivating monologues I've ever seen male or female in film in a long ass time. And I think that you can actually relate with her character in many ways too. some of the things that she's saying. If you've, uh, you know, ever lived kind of a sheltered lifestyle, if you will. And I've talked about it here on the show before too, you know, like I didn't get out much until, you know, my late teenage, nearly uh, graduating high school years lived a little bit of a sheltered life myself. So, you know, some of the the things that she talks about and, and the despair that she feels and things like that, like I could kind of relate to that, even though, you know, this chick's back crazy. Like she's saying a lot of stuff that adds up and, um, you know, it's it's just an incredible scene to see her face, just the minutia, just the minute details of her acting, her physical performance. She tells a story with her face, not just with her words. Uh, there's a lot of physical acting that's going on. And she's sitting at a dinner table, you know, and the, uh, with a close up shot. I mean, oh. so it, it's just really incredible and, 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 and encapsulating. And, um, you know, you forget that she's even talking to somebody. You know, the monologue just goes on like you feel like she's talking to you directly. And I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it right now. So Mia Goth, Pearl, fantastic acting, specifically the monologue scene. Science Seal delivers it for me. If she doesn't get nominated, we riot. We're going to riot, boys. I, I'm sad. <laughs> I said that I didn't get the close. I didn't get the close Pearl before this. So I knew that it would be somewhere on my list because X is definitely honorable mentions. It very much came so close to cracking the top five. Uh, it, it's just, it was a fucking incredible movie. I've been excited to see Pearl and I just have missed somehow. It's just always like never right there when I'm ready to watch it. All right. Well, let me go ahead and move on to Brandon while we wait for Danny to get back on Brandon. What's your female performance of the year? Uh, much like you were saying with Mia Goth, uh, I think Mika Monroe in her physical performance during Watcher was phenomenal. I agree. I figured that a lot of people would also have Watcher on the list. I love that movie as well, but I think her performance really makes that and i would even yeah she the the way that she conveys and she's really good at showing how terrified she is or what she's feeling during that moment she it's red all over her face i mean and i love her man i think she's phenomenal in anything she does 
uh, and and especially in the Watcher. Sweet, but I love. Yeah, it. I agree with you. Like her acting is probably going to be overlooked and slightly underrated, but uh, yeah, she did a great per- performance from her as well. Danny's back with us, so Mr. Danny, what do you have as your female performance of the year, sir? Uh, I have got Stephanie Sue from Everything Everywhere All at Once. That's a runner up for me. Good choice. choice. It is. It, it is. Although I find that I am way more weepy in my old age than I ever was as a younger man. Uh, it is rare that I can watch a thing that will have me like laughing out loud, like snorting and pausing it to go back to make sure I didn't miss anything else. Uh, and then five minutes later, just have me by the heartstrings and just just making me want to straight up weep uh, because it's it's so moving. Uh, and all the while with so much style and flair and you you everything about her character her playing that character is joy in that film uh she she sells every second of it yeah from the moment that she walks on screen you can tell that her and her mother are estranged you know you can kind of you can feel all these feelings just from the expressions on her face and I have never seen her in another thing, and she just absolutely fucking floored me. Yeah, that th- that was a very strong performance as well. I agree with you. I th- I feel like in many ways she made the film, you know. She, and I feel like, well, with that film in in and of itself too, it, it kind of addresses some of those. I would, I guess, I would say Asian stereotypes, kind of the mother daughter dynamic in particular. Yeah, is a big theme of that of that movie in and of itself. So she showed a lot of range as an actress. You know, of course, with it kind of being a multiverse type thing uh, as well. So she played different incarnations and variations of herself at times too. So yeah, that's a very good, very good pick too. Doug, were you in the, in the same boat as me or do you have a different uh, nomination for female of the year? Uh, female of the year for me, I think obviously Michelle Yeoh is going to clean up this year. That's my personal feeling. Okay. I think yeah. as far as like uh, the mainstream world is just going to like hand her over, you know, wonderful you know, oyster. But uh, as far as like my personal choice for the year, it's like, uh, I think Rebecca Hall and Resurrection is just an absolute fucking She's showcase of acting. She's, She's so fucking phenomenal. good. If there's like an actress who can just literally embody grief and uh, heartbreak, it's yes. Rebecca Hall. She just wears it in such a way that's like, you feel it on her. Like, God, I, I don't know how old she is, but fuck, I wouldn't be shocked, shocked if, like, you know, in a couple of years, she looks like she's 100. <laughs> she's, yeah. But she's so incredible, and there's, like, that wonderful scene. I mean, it's not a wonderful scene. It's super fucked up. But there's a nine-minute monologue from her in Resurrection that's just a slow camera push-in. Nothing else. As she explains her background to one of the other characters. Camera doesn't cut. She tells you the most fucked-up, heartbreaking story you'll ever hear in one long nine and it doesn't feel long at all. You're just completely hanging on every word. No cuts, nine minutes. Incredible. Rebecca Hall's to me is one of the best actresses doing it right now. It's certainly my top five is active actresses. Wasn't she in uh, another movie this year with the, where she was in a house? That was last well, that year. Was last the night year. House. Yeah. The night house, which is a yeah. same David Bruckner film. Yeah. Same. Same, same thing. Yeah, she just fucking owns every frame she's Yeah, done. she killed it in that for sure. Especially again, displaying kind of the grief in her character was a strong spot. Alrighty, so we've got our female performances out of the way. Let's get into a controversial one, guys. Let's talk disappointment of the year. Now, you are more than welcome to just shit on something to shit on something. 
This is the way I approach disappointments. And that is, I had an expectation that was not delivered upon, and that deficit is is pretty decent. For me, I always approach these things like, okay, I thought this was going to be good or perhaps the best thing to come out this year, and it didn't even come close to delivering that or uh, was a, a huge drop-off. You guys are welcome to approach it that way if you'd like, you know, to each their own. And I will start with Brandon. What was the disappointment for you? Oh, you're going to start with yeah. me. Jesus. I've always wanted to go through Morbin time together. And uh, I felt like we had a really strong chance with that great actor, Jared Leto, that is clearly not trying to start a cult. Yeah, right. Uh, or ruin people's lives. Fuck you, Morbius. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought you were going to be good. You looked terrible from the very beginning. I honestly didn't. I, the one thing that I was having trouble with the most on this time around was disappointments i generally i end up i think the first time i watched barbarian for me was a little bit of a i think i was so blown away by the what the fuck that i didn't have a to fully appreciate it and i think i was in a different headspace during that time whenever i watched it i would have to say that it would be barbarian i second time through was way better i i still i still liked it both times but it was just missing a little zhuzh for me and, and, you know, I, I had heard all this buildup about it, had been following it for a while, and then it just kind of hurt my feelings uh, the first time. But after rewatching, it's, it was phenomenal. I think it's a, a weird, I think it's going to be a cult classic before too long. I agree. I think it'll really shine in the next 10 years. Yeah, I can definitely see it getting a cult phenomenon behind it beyond, you know, I mean, there's movie nerds like us that love it you know, out the gate, but I, I think that's going to get some more popularity too. All right, Danny, what do you got? What's a disappointment for you this year? Biggest disappointment of the year. Um, look, I, I like a lot of things about movies, but I, I like, I like, I like strong dramatic stuff. I like stuff that's got a good, a good twist or a last minute reveal. Um, I, I am, have grown way more fond of horror in the last year, but uh, my, my favorite genre always will be anything that can make me and the people around me laugh. Uh, I love being surrounded by laughter and hearing it. You know what I mean? It just, it it makes my heart feel nice. And when I heard that Jamie Foxx was going to be a blue collar vampire hunter, (laughs) I got so fucking excited. (laughs) And you've got, you got Jamie fucking Foxx, motherfucker Jones. To be, to, to just be a, a, just a blue collar vampire hunter that he's like, oh, maybe I'm a pool boy. No, I'm here to get you. <laughs> that's, that's a fucking amazing get for a script and for him to say yes. And then you make this movie and it's just, it's just fucking nothing. Like, it's nothing. It's four minutes of cool creature design. And that's about it. Uh, you just, you, you really, you could have done something incredible with it. And instead it's, very average, if not nothing at all. So I'm going to go with Day Shift. Okay. Day Shift from Danny on the disappointments of the year. Doug, what do you got on your disappointment? It was rough. Disappointments was hard to fucking land on, man. Like, it's just like, there's shit like, I felt like Halloween Kills helped soften the blow for Halloween Halloween ends sucking. Like, I literally went in and been like, <laughs> all right, let's close this out knowing this is going to suck. And nailed it. Yeah, I was just like, all right. So like, I can't get upset because I know I'm going into something horrible. Yeah. So like, that was definitely on my like. You know, I can't even like say that that was there on the radar for that. Hellraiser wasn't quite a disappointment for me. It wasn't a total fucking home run either. Gray Man, I didn't give a shit about. That was on my list. I tried it. It was. I couldn't even finish. It was very boring. 
Firestarter was definitely like, I'm like, this could be interesting, but I also don't really want that movie. Yeah. I'll go ahead and throw, I'll go ahead and get, say my fucking disappointment of the year was Terrifier 2. Okay. Because, <laughs> wow. Because I didn't love the first Terrifier. There was a shitload of issues with it with me. Didn't care about any of the characters. It was just shock value to me. And it's like, I'm like, all right, I get it. If like you're a gore hound, sure, this is for you. I love some good gore, but I also like want some steak and I don't feel like there's any steak in it. Yeah. If like, it's just a people getting slaughtered with no real like development at all. Like sure. You know, great effects showcase. That's what the first terrifier was to me. The clown performer, the guy doing art, the clown. Wonderful. Fucking honestly really did a great job. Like he just, the writing didn't give him enough to do. Like as far as like the story didn't give him enough to do. Terrifier 2, man, come out surprising everybody. Like, it even got me hyped going, like, hold on. This sub-million dollar movie, I think it was like a five hundred, eight, six hundred thousand dollar budget movie, went on to make like $20 million in the theater. It's a sequel to a movie most of these people going to see that probably have never seen. It had like a fucking 90% on Rotten Tomatoes with like a lot of reviews, not just like one or two horror sites or something or reviewers. It was like this fucking like dark horse this summer that I'm like, okay, like what the fuck's happened? Had this absurd runtime. It was like two hours and 25 minutes. I'm like, okay, like, all right, this is very fucking unexpected. I am just going to have to. And like, and there's a set piece. There's one kill that'll just blow your fucking mind. Cause and I'm like, all right, all right, cool, cool. All right. So, and then finally got to watch it and it just like, it felt super uneven to me. Like I felt like a lot of the performances are super inconsistent. Oftentimes felt like the lead actress's age was changing dramatically. Like I felt like those times when I was watching her, she was like 19 other times she felt 25 and it, it just felt like it was shot over the course of like three years at a really bad time to be shooting somebody as they're like growing into adulthood. Uh, the production value shifted significantly unevenly. Like sometimes things look really well polished or really well done. Other times it felt like it was shot on a weekend on a Saturday with a group of friends. It was just a very uneven movie front to back. Uh, some of the showcase pieces, uh, uh, you know, some of the kills were totally fine. Some of them just went on just a tad too long and started to show the stick, you know, the seams a little too much. Like you start to see like a head beaten with a hammer. 60 times and after like fucking 30 of them you're like that's clearly a fake head you know like there comes a point where it's yeah. like everything starts to fall apart a little bit and ultimately the big fucking kill in the middle i'm just like dude the first one with the girl upside down was more of a fucking shock factor than that was to me it felt absurd and silly at some point it became black comedy to me and i'm sure that's what they were hoping for i'm sure that was the intent because it went kept going further and further. how far can you go but it just yeah. like after a while it just became obnoxious to me and didn't really have any effect and ultimately like the characters you know they came a point where i was like yeah i do care about this girl but then they became kind of silly and cheesy and like i didn't care about her at the end when you should because <laughs> like you know and i guess some people can make that leap with her but i couldn't yeah. so in a lot of ways it's like all that like you know i really wanted to see that film succeed simply for the fact that it's a huge one for all of us and in a lot of ways Definitely. it still is and i still see a lot of people going ape shit for it and i'm happy for those people but for me like the movie just didn't work the first one didn't work when there's a third I just don't know if I'll be able to give it the same, give it the same shot. Cause I feel like at this point you've given me two things that just didn't work for me. Well, I am going to go ahead and maybe piss off some people with my disappointment of the year. And Doug, you almost ruined it for me. That's Hellraiser. I had high hopes for this. I really did. I'm a fan. I would say of uh, David Bruckner, uh, you know, the work that he's done has been stellar. 
you know, the night house and as well as the ritual were both excellent films. Uh, I loved his contributions to VHS also. And I thought, you know, Hey, you know, what, what, what can this guy do wrong? Just give him the Hellraiser franchise. He he will not fuck it up. Now I'm not saying he fucked it up, but the plot for me got a little flimsy, especially they were so reliant on the backstabbing boyfriend to deliver at the end. I felt like that was kind of a weak and told too many times story, if you will, a tired trope. And, you know, I thought the the Cenobites and even the Hell Priestess were too pretty, too pleasant looking. A lot of that had to do with the lighting, the costuming designs as well. Yeah. But I know like whenever we saw like the Fangoria leaks originally of the Cenobite that was just like a skin face, like it creeped us out because it was real dark. But in the movie... It was very easy to see, you know, then, and that's a part of a mark of a good horror movie is you don't reveal too much too quickly. I feel like this did and and many times as well. And then the kill scenes are always a big thing in the Hellraiser films. I mean, let's face it. The first Hellraiser film is a great movie. It's a cult classic, Uh, you know, but it's not, you know, a Stanley Kubrick piece. And certainly any movie after that is essentially just bad. You're just watching it for what how are they going to kill these people? You know, like show me unique ways you're going to kill yeah. these people. Essentially you, you watch it for the kills. And I, I love pinhead. I love Clive Barker. I love the Hellraiser comics. You know, I, to me, it's just, it just feels like a franchise that's never gotten its due diligence. And w- whether that's, you know, misguided choices, I know it kind of got prostituted out too in the VHS era, you know, of the nineties as well. A lot of bad Hellraiser films got made and I'm not saying this is bad, it's fine, but whenever I was expecting, let's say, like a nine out of ten, and it delivers like a six five for me, it's a disappointment. Yeah, I, I agree with yeah. that. I, I think it, you're right. It was. I think it was too pretty and too produced. Uh, I think that it, it just, yeah, it's just too shiny. But you're not. You're not supposed to. You're not supposed to think that skin face can get it. Right. Absolutely. You know what I'm. You right. know what I'm saying. Yeah. And I felt like I wanted to be fucked, Danny. I don't know about you. Yeah. Yeah. My skin face. Yeah, yeah. skin face. Definitely. Okay. He's too pretty. I want to be uh, sc- <laughs> stick all that skin in my face. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely enjoyed it. I had fun watching it, but I, it, ultimately, I would I would have to agree with you, Barrett. I was disappointed with the way that it came out. Yeah. Uh, I just my hopes were much higher, I guess. Which I, I suppose that's on me. Yeah. No, I I agree one hundred percent. It's uh, it just did not deliver for me, and I know it's probably a me problem. I know that I've seen kind of mixed reviews about it as well. You know, like the reviews that I see, like I'm in a Hellraiser group, for example, on Facebook. Some of the reviews are tic-tac that people give on it. Uh, a lot of people went in watching this too, not realizing it was a, re- a reimagining uh, entirely of the universe in some respects. Like, you know, David Bruckner was told to make this his own, and that's exactly what he did. But I think like a lot of people are going in also watching this with the impression that this is actually a, like a direct sequel to the first one or some type of sequel. It's not the case here. It's it, it's a whole, you know, new reboot. And I'm really just excited to see what I think um, is it David Gordon Green's doing the TV series for, I believe, HBO uh, Hellraiser. Wow, that- yeah. And it's already in development. Are you still excited after Halloween ends? I don't know that I am, but I know everything else that they do is great. So and this is the only thing we're going to differ on. I, I actually, I had a blast, but I had a situation that I explained on a previous podcast with Halloween ends because of how ridiculous it was. Oh, I, I, I had a blast with how fucking dumb it is. Like, I, 
Yeah. Like 20, like 10 minutes in, I just looked at my girlfriend, started laughing. I'm like, all right, we're in this movie. And just yeah. checked out yeah. of like any expectation of what I, of a good movie instead of turned into like, it's, it was like bad, but it was every, yeah, clocking every dumbest. It was a watchable bad. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it was like I the prior one to me was not, it makes me laugh that people would be like, it's the worst movie I've ever seen. And I'm like, have you seen oh Halloween Resurrection? No. Give me a Resurrection still punches no. above that on terrible quality. H2O. And it's it's yeah, the same right. with the Hellraiser in that sense. The Hellraiser reboots, like, I had high expectations for this exact same reason as you, Barrett. Like, a great team working on it with a budget, with a little more scope, a little more possibility. Like, you know, they could go a little bit deeper on it. And two films end with, like, great myth and world building, you know? So I'm like, what a great opportunity for them to do this. And it's been in development for fucking ever. And so I just, uh, I don't know, like for me, it was like, I wasn't, I can't say like, I was disappointed the way you are when your kids like do something dumb and you're like, you know, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> right. Right. For sure. I love that we're taking it there. So, so tell me more about therapy, uh, with your kids. I, well, after seeing the night house too, I, I got to mention this part, the dream sequence. When they're out on the lake sitting in the, uh, I think it's like a canoe or something. Rebecca Hall is, and she's sitting across from her her deceased husband. And that voice that he has, it's like this weird brooding voice. It's not like his natural voice. You know, it's just like some effects that they put on. It's almost like the monster effect in GarageBand, if anybody's familiar with that, or Logic. It's got this weird underneath like baritone to it, and it like makes your skin crawl. And whenever I saw that movie and, and that, I was like, you know, I'm always like scouting, thinking like, oh man, this would be great. This would be great for, you know, this franchise or that. Like I could, whenever I, he, it was announced that he was taking on Hellraiser, David Bruckner, I immediately went back to that, to that scene. I was like, that's like the perfect tone right there. Like the way he made me feel in that moment. Went back to the ritual. Yeah, I, I'm I'm hoping that there is a sequel from that team and I would love to see what they could do with this feedback and more opportunity to dig a little bit deeper. Yeah. yeah. I agree. I think, I think, and you know, I don't think that it's a wash. I think maybe that it's just like, there's too much time sent, spent on setting things up and not really being able to, you know, I felt like they held too much, uh, to the close to the chest. Yeah. Yeah. It's gross. Really, like, yeah. They didn't quite swing as hard as I thought that they were going to. And so, you know, I, I'm hoping that we get an opportunity to get a sequel from them. I would love to see that the TV series. I'm not a hundred percent on like, I feel like Gordon green has always, always had a super big hit or miss ratio. Yeah. For me. Like sometimes it's like just fucking kills it. And you're like, Jesus, like you get excited yeah. of two or three projects on a row that just slay. And then he'll put out something that you're like, what the hell is this? Right. Like, like, what is this? So yeah, I'm with you 100%. So now we're on to our second on our list ladies and gents. And because we've already talked about this movie at nauseum, I'll just go ahead and throw out my second. And that's the Banshees of Inner Sheeran. Again, liked it for all the reasons that we've already talked about. So I'm just going to kind of get into some more of the analytics of the movie. Uh, it's an hour and 54 minutes long, released in October of this year. Box office was $22 million. Budget, I could not find specifically, but uh, it reunites, of course, Gleason and Farrell and McDonough from In Bruges. We mentioned that earlier. The chemistry is crazy. Great dark comedy moments. Can't talk good enough about it. Uh, we talked about kind of the character development of Dominic, which was Barry Cogan's character specifically. You know, just wonderful performances all around. And I highly recommend it to anybody. You know, it's just it's just a smartly done film. 
So Doug, what do you got at number two on your list? So I really want to touch real fast on Banshees. I uh, held, I was kind of doing, there's this guy, Patrick Bromley that <laughs> I've followed. And every time they list like this, it's always like Bromley rules are generally like if people share the same title, they hold on to it until it gets to like the last person who has it ranked the highest. And then everyone talks about it kind of frees up time instead of talking about the same title over and over. So I did that for the sake of time for us today with Banshees. Uh, we've talked a lot about it. Like, I think it's just a killer. It's a killer two hander. Great performances from two actors with a lot of subtext and a lot of emotional pull. It was interesting to like really analyze the infantile emotional dynamic of two men. Like that no matter how old we are, and right. a lot of times we handle things like we were if we were six. Right, for sure. Like he's just like, I just don't like you. Yeah. It's like a six-year-old attitude. <laughs> and there's such a density and unwillingness to move or explain things uh, and a lack of emotional availability. Uh, there's just so much about it that handles like masculinity. It handles masculinity, funny enough, despite what I just said, in a way that's very like tuned in and very uh, sweet in some ways. Like it, it handles like the things that us as men do in a way that's like, uh, it's a little softer than a, a film would normally be. But then as spoken about earlier, that like once it starts to head a certain direction and it starts to head to like the gravity of the film where it's pulling and like the consequences of everything, it, uh, it's a very sobering movie in a lot of Definitely. ways too. And, uh, it makes you laugh. It makes you cry. I know that sounds cliche, but Definitely. it does both of those, both of those things effectively. I think it's one of, oh, it does it. Yeah. Like I said, it's like at this point, like Madonna's made, I love seven psychopaths. I don't think it has the same emotional plea that his other three films have. No, but I just, you know, I, I, I love think it that, as uh, its own. Yeah. Though, but. It's a farcical comedy to me. Like it's really outrageous, but, but on purpose. Yeah. yeah but it, it, it doesn't, but it just doesn't have like quite the like strength on an emotional, like through line that these other films have. But yeah, that's really all I have to tie up Banshees. So uh, with my number two is uh, Ruben Oslin's Triangle of Sadness. I didn't expect this movie to be one. I'll go out there and say it may not be the best movie of the year. There's things that I didn't quite love about it, but I will definitely say that it's absolutely the best directed movie I've seen this year. And that even trumps. Uh, the Fablemans, which I think was fucking just honestly, like more people need to see that movie and talk about it. I thought it was, you know, it's basically Spielberg biopic was, you know, it's a delightful movie. I got to see it in theaters. It was terrific. It actually like, I, you know, welled up a couple, two or three times through it. I was surprised, but triangle of sadness did the same thing for me. Like it moved me emotionally ways I didn't expect earlier. As I was saying, like unexpected emotional responses were really my calling card this year. And with triangle of sadness, there's, a scene where like, uh, you know, the whole yacht, it's in the trailer, so it's not much of a spoiler. The whole fucking yacht, Theron's like out of control, like wavering back and forth. Everybody gets food poisoning. The entire crew of all these like super rich assholes and elite people start getting wicked, horrible diarrhea and vomiting. <laughs> so the whole boat's going backwards as people are puking all over the place. The toilets are backing up and running all <laughs> over the place. It's just fucking disgusting. <laughs> And there's a character you see, you know, who's on the toilet fucking vomiting and having diarrhea simultaneously <laughs> as like, you know, as the ship's doing this. Oh, man. The, sh the film moves to a different location. You go quite a while without seeing a lot of the characters after this event. And when you finally do see that character, I mean, I'm not going to spoil who it is or where it fits into things, but she's dead. And it's like really heartbreaking because to me, it, like it was this moment where it's like, 
it comes back to like recognizing that that how swift things come for us like that, like the in like a moment you're laughing at her and her she's humiliated, you know you as the audience witnessing her situation you're you're you know she's being humiliated mm-hmm. and being laughed at, and you're enjoying her suffering and then the next scene you're watching how much her loss meant to somebody else, and it's like it's a very devastating juxtaposition of putting two scenes right back to back. And I thought that that was just like such a brilliant and uh, like unconventional thing to do. Like I was really, really just blown away with the film's overall quality and like how it affected everything. Wasn't sure what kind of movie it was going to be when I started it. But by the end, I was like, Jesus, like a lot to be said with this one. Anybody have any anything else they would like to add to Triangle of Sadness discussion before we move on to Danny's second pick? Uh, I, I want to see the triangle of sadness. Uh, Doug, Doug, uh, messaged me about it a little bit and we were, we were chatting about that a bit. Um, that sounds like my kind of jam. I mean, I, I looked it up and just looked at the synopsis and stuff. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to checking that out. What are we on? Num- we on number two. Yes, sir. Number two on your list. Number two. What do we got here? What do we got here? I'll tell you what I got. I got fucking the menu. Uh, just watched last night, actually, directed by Mark, fuck, uh, Mark Mylid. Mark Mylid? I'm, I'm going to go with that. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, the, the just performances in it all around. I, I don't really know what I was expecting going into it, but I can say with 100% confidence, not that. I, wa- I was not expecting that. Uh, and fuck man it I, I love it when you can portray properly uh have you ever been in the presence of somebody that can just walk in a room of 50 people and everybody shuts up and looks at them right they can just sure. their, their presence alone commands a room uh and it's if you see it in movies where they don't pull it off it's so fucking stilted and weird like it's the, it's one of the most bizarre things to behold like it because nobody looks actually interested in the room, I guess. But Ralph Fiennes is able to do this in such a way that it, boy, it's 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 unnerving. And the longer the movie goes, you're like, Jesus Christ, what what the fuck would it be like to be exposed to this dude for months? Yeah, for months and months and years, uh, and you start to kind of understand how all this shit unfolds. And then just the the extra layers that are on top of of the other characters and how they develop inside of the story, I thought was really fun. Some of them were a little hokey, but I get, I get why they're there. They're there to, to fill a little void to help make it more whole. Uh, but I still enjoyed them, man. I thought like even John Leguizamo is in this, is in this movie. If you haven't he's, seen it, he's two for and two this year, just playing a delightful character. And you could, you could argue a point that if you were to take him out of the movie entirely, it would be the same film. And you'd be a hundred percent right. Uh, but he's just, everybody in it adds a little something that, that fills out this crowd of people and the way that they execute. Hmm, how should I put this? The way that they execute uh, the portrayal of the things that their characters are going through at this dinner is boy, it's just, it's, it is something to behold. Um, because it's so vastly different for everybody in the room. And uh, yeah, I just, it was really, really good. I enjoyed it a lot. I thought uh, Ralph Fiennes again, you know, maybe performance of the year for me. Uh, I did watch this last night though. So this went from 
being a movie that I just wanted to watch to 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 creep it into number two. So yeah, I highly recommend that if you haven't got the chance to see it. Yeah, I'll contest your point about Lake Rizama in that movie though. Only in the say that like if you pulled him out, like his his performance isn't I wouldn't say it's like a comedic. Like he's not chewing the scenery. He's not being like he's not there for jokes. No. But if you pulled him out of that movie, it would take itself way too seriously. You think so? Like he's a huge part. He's he anchors a lot of the humor of that movie and he adds levity in this way that like everyone else has got all these conflicts and all these like serious social issues or things to discuss or yeah. pretentious arguments. But like Rosamo the one that's like you, he kind of like is lampooning himself a little bit. Yeah. Not like that's himself, true. but he's lampooning like the type of character he's playing. It's kind of like almost a satire in a movie that is a satire, but he's, you know, you cut away to him. And when you go away to what he's doing, it helps break up everybody that's like in these like really heated conversations and keeps it from being the tonally too can like too similar. Yeah. Yeah. I can and see so that. it's like, he had some of the best highlights of the movie is so fucking good. And it like, Oh yeah, but I'm with you. I, I think finds just fucking dominates the whole movie as a tour de force for him. Oh, like yeah. you, you know, it's so rare that you see somebody, like you said, like his ability to captivate you as an audience and the actors on screen in a way that feels dynamic and singular. He's so incredible in it. It's like it's probably it's one of my favorite movies this year, and it was on the list multiple times since I've seen it. And I just kept like there's some slight things that I kind of took issue with. Like I thought, like if I had to actually like stand up and debate this movie, like could I actually argue that it's the best of the best? Oh, and to me, like Triangle of Sadness covers a lot of similar yeah, yeah. thematic things. However, the menu also. Uh, the menu, like you said, has just got so many curveballs you just do not see coming. Yeah, yeah, it's and that's that's ultimately what I found so charming about it, man. I just, uh, I, I really, I, I got a lot more than I bargained for. I was excited to watch it. I wasn't really positive what was going to transpire, and uh, it, it really took me on a ride, and I, I had a lot of fun on that ride. And uh, I won't give any spoilers about it. All right, so this is going to tell you guys a lot about me. You guys already know me decently well. Uh, this should speak volumes because I, I, it's not that I disagree with either one of your interpretations, but my tie for my second uh, is the menu and triangle of sadness, only because they thematically like touch on the same subject matter. Uh, first, I'll start with just uh, what I would counter with uh, to Doug and then Danny, uh, and then I'll be done with my turn. Um, triangle of sadness. So that moment that you're speaking of where the woman is, uh, pissing, shitting and throwing up and she's sliding across the, uh, the bathroom floor. I, the reason why I could not hold back from laughing just now, whenever you're describing it is because I'm remembering it and I was crying laughing, uh, mostly because of the fact that this woman was another woman that had treated the staff so poorly that she was berating them. And I can only imagine this woman being just a terrible fucking hag bitch of a woman. I felt nothing whenever I found out that she died. Uh, and, and, and the reason why is because even, and this is, I mean, I guess it's kind of a spoiler. Even then in that moment of this dire moment of like wanting to be there with her, in that moment, 
the man takes something of hers that is of value. I think I think for me that's the beautiful that's a beautiful thing about black comedy on both sides, both movies. This is black comedy, and it gets to a serious point where it's no longer comedy anymore. But I think it was building up to yeah. that from the very you know the start. The film changes pretty dramatically at that point, right? Yeah, to your point though, it's like it isn't her her death that affected me. Like I liked the husband character of hers and you could see how it like, you know, how it much it, you know, affected him. And I, you know, like I, she was a terrible, even though person. he has a mistress. And so it's like, like yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. But like to see like the loss in his eyes and like in his performance was really like, it hit me. But then, like I said, just when you start to get too emotional, there's that little bit where he fucking gangs your yeah. shit that reminds you what movie you're in. It doesn't let you commit wholeheartedly. And it doesn't I, fucking I don't think it will like, take anything away from it either. So I, I'm, I'm sorry if I did anything from that. But uh, the, that's the thing I love about. I haven't, I haven't seen, I haven't seen the other one. I'm, I'm yeah, I think that's it. the thing that I love about both films is this very much is a eat the rich year. These two movies for me, the idiocies of individuals where they've just become bored and now they start to make everything. They're like, they're an expert at everything and they know everything. And uh, going on to Danny's pick for the menu, uh, Nicholas Holt being the just fuck you motherfucker you piece of fucking mm, shit yeah. treating this woman like <laughs> a fucking piece of property essentially just going look at what i've done for you i wanted everybody in that room besides her to die a horrible death even from john leguizamo i mean it's just it's there's so so much self-importance in society as it is anyways from where we go with fucking tiktoks or uh, like how highly we think of ourselves to where nobody gives an actual shit, but you, and then for this man to be put through all this bullshit constantly and be treated like essentially a slave to these people. And the comedic turn it takes as far as I thought it was hilarious that this is planned a planned out dinner. And I won't go to the degree that it is a planned out dinner, but everything's a course. So. It's like, it's just so maniacal and so, yeah. It, and I sat and watched this movie in, in the theater myself, and I was laughing at some of the, just the insanities that were happen, happening. Uh, so those are, those are my oh, yeah. two. S'mores, specifically, was one of my favorite parts of the movie, and it was goddamn hilarious. I fucking loved it. I, uh, I, I just got to watch the menu like two nights ago or whatever it went up on HBO uh, max. Oh, it's on and, HBO now. Yeah. And um, I don't know what I was expecting. I, I, I didn't like it as much as you guys did, but it definitely has its dark comedy moments that are well worthwhile. And definitely could agree with the sentiment against Nicholas Holt and his character too. Uh, he, he's kind of like, I, I just like everything we kind of despise at times. So like, he's too busy taking pictures of his food. He's too busy talking about, you know, his fandom of the chef in and of itself. And, oh, you're using this ingredient or that ingredient. He's kind of a yuppie in, in some respects. Yeah. So like, he's easily, easily hateable. Like we can all like pretty much identify him with somebody that's we've crossed in our lives. So yeah, I, I, I would argue he's the villain of the film. 
really in many respects in a lot of ways yeah 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 so but yeah i thought it was kind of interesting uh, what what's her name anya tyler joy her character she's a call girl right i mean that's the impression that you're supposed to get yeah uh because they allude to her having done something with the senator that's there having dinner as well that movie did such a great job of just constantly like doling out information yeah. in a way that just kept but not spoon feeding it, per se. And I think I think Holt was one of the best written characters this year because you go from liking him and being excited for him sure. to yep. the conclusion of the film and how things go for him. That's like, man, such an incredible arc for a character because you just like it's like an anti arc. You're not rooting for them to win by the end. You're like rooting right. for I their ne- demise. I never hate and Nicholas Holt I just, either. Nicholas Holt is I mean, especially as of recent years, he's fucking amazing. Like the favorite, we have uh, the Russian uh, TV. Mad Max Fury Road. I mean, like he's an excellent character. And he's going to be in Renfield too, which looks to be a uh, fun little trip. Yeah, I saw a trailer for that today. It looks, uh, it looks, it it looks like a fun time. I know it looks wild, which I am always on board for. One hundred percent, my dude. All right, guys. Before we get to our number ones, let's talk about something that we're looking forward to in twenty twenty three. Is there a movie specifically that you want to go to bat for right now and say this is the movie I'm looking forward to in twenty twenty three? I'm going to start with you, Brandon. Oh Jesus! Why did you put me on the spot twice in a row? Uh, Why not? Fuck off. Get your big boy pants on. Somebody else go first, because I, I got to take a I, I am totally not ready. I was not prepared for this question. I'll go ahead and do it. Uh, I'll, I'll come up to the batter's box, and I'm going to knock it out of the park with Bo is Afraid, formerly Disappointment Boulevard, Ari Aster's third installment featured film that's coming out with Joaquin Phoenix, Parker Posey, Amy Ryan, Richard Kine, and Nathan Lane are all going to be in this movie. And it's a decade-spanning portrait of one of the most successful entrepreneurs of all time is the byline for the movie. I'm sure it's going to have very little to do with that. Knowing Ari Aster, he likes to keep play it close to the vest with his films. And he's a part of what I would consider the top echelon of present day directors, young directors for me. I kind of that first heat of directors, I would probably put him, Peel Eggers, with kind of Jennifer Kent and Panos and uh, Brandon Cronenberg on the heels of them. And just any movie that he he puts out, Ari Aster, I absolutely love is typically my favorite or not of my favorites of that year. So anything that Ari Aster is going to do is always going to be at the top of my most anticipated list. And Joaquin Phoenix, I would say he's the greatest modern day actor. I mean, argument could be made easily. And uh, it's supposed to come out April 21st of 2023. And funny enough, we covered this on the very first episode of ATI podcast, most anticipated films of 2022, because originally this was supposed to come out in 2022, but has met multiple delays. And this is also going to be an A24 joint as well. So Bo is Afraid is my most anticipated movie of 2023. Ari Aster starring Joaquin Phoenix. Bo is Afraid. Go right ahead, Brandon. I would say, first off, it would be uh, Across the Spider-Verse. Yeah, I think sure. Fuck. that's going to be one that just completely dominates. The first one's wonderful. I've watched it a million times, showed my kid. He loves it. I love it still. I don't think there's ever a time I wouldn't watch it. It's, it's just, yeah, breath of fresh air whenever it comes to Spider-Man. Secondly, uh, Dune Part 2. I don't, I know that there's hate out there for Dune Part 1. Fuck off. I don't give a shit. It's a slow burn. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> it's fantastic. And everything that that man does, I'll fucking always love. The, uh, the newer Blade, can't remember, or sorry, Blade Runner was fantastic. 
I don't think that there's ever a thing that he Sam Mendes is is that no that's not no that's Denny Villanueva Villanueva yeah I think that there's nothing that he will do that I will ever dislike I think that he's just that he's perfect at atmosphere he's perfect at just that arrival Sicario I mean man they fucking prisoners oh my god it's just he puts you in a mood every single time he comes up with a movie. So <clears throat> I could watch the original or that Dune over and over again for while I'm painting. And it would be just the soundtrack alone is gorgeous. All right, Doug, you, you got a submission now, sir? Yeah, sure do. Like, I, I was like, fuck, man, I have to stop and think about like, I don't know. I'm mostly over basically all things comic book movie. Was never really super deep into it, but it feels like, you know, just where there's whatever. But uh, yeah, Guardians 3 has got me on the lifeline. When that one's done, I could probably walk away from them feeling like I've completed something. Uh, I am excited for that one. I'm excited for Barbie, surprisingly. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like, it looks like it's going to be a fucking blast. Uh, Bet. Killers of the Flower Moon comes out. Definitely. And so I'm I'm really excited for that because it's like, I don't know, man. I, the more. The more that these comic book movies and animated movies dominate the box office, the more I'm hungry for just like an adult movie, like a movie with like a uh, perspective and some shit to say, you know. And they've they've not gotten better either. No, like they've right. gotten worse. They've peaked, like and I feel like at this point they're not pushing they're not pushing the envelope any further. So it's well, you know what are you gonna do? But that book, Killers of the Flower Moon, so fucking good. And oh, yeah, uh, that's gonna be exciting. It's just like a story that I think is gonna show up on screen in a way that's like gonna, uh, I mean, it's the type of movie like kind of I think the world needs right now. Like, it's definitely got a commentary that's relevant, right? About a subject matter from a hundred years ago. I think Scorsese's the kind of guy that's not gonna give you the surface value version of that story, he's gonna give 100%. you 100% the much deeper interpretation of it. I agree, yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, nice. definitely looking forward to that one too. Danny, what you got for anticipated release 2023? Man, I I also had into the Spider-Verse, but I want to I want to uh roll off the what Doug was saying there. Um as a huge uh comic book nerd for uh, as long as I could read, wait, uh continuity, I can't read. Yeah, yeah. So as long as I have been able to enjoy those pictures in those picture books with the weird The picture books. Line, Look at those amazing. I have always like I never like idolized comic book characters, but I was always like, man, it's fucking sweet. That's fucking cool. That dude can fly. This dude can sure. lift metal. This dude can do other shit. Uh, this dude's made of metal. How, what, what a funny pairing. Into the Spider-Verse was a movie for me that that all of a sudden made all the other comic book movies I'd ever seen kind of irrelevant. Yeah. yeah. Because it, it it is, it, it's such a neat adaptation of that hand-drawn art form to screen that still is an animated film. Right. That is nothing like any other animated film I've ever seen. Uh, it's got such a unique feel, and the, and the writing for the first one was so fantastic. The new one, I've got, I want to throw a uh, hat tip here to the director's. Mm. This is going to be directed by uh, Joaquin Dos Santos, Kemp Powers, and Justin K. Thompson for Across the Spider-Verse. But man, I'm so excited to see how they play it because the first one, the, the first one I would argue is the best Spider-Man thing that has ever been committed to screen. It's in the conversation for sure. It's so fucking, yeah, it's, it's so fucking, it's so unique to all the other Spider-Man things that we've already seen. You've seen, how many Spider-Man origin things are fucking out there? 
I'm even talking about like Japanese Spider-Man right. that likes limited run series. They got like nine episodes or some shit. Right. It's like, it's just all garbage throwaway, but they fucking jam it in there anyway. And to reinvent, uh, well, I mean, it, it, not like Miles Morales is a new character. He's not. Uh, but to reinvent the roots of a new Peter Parker, one of the most affable guys in the history of comic books, it, it, what an undertaking. And to do it so smoothly with this great narrative and for it to not really be an origin story, it's still an origin story and does like nine other origin stories in it. Right. But it's so brisk, it doesn't feel like that. And I really think that's incredible. Like, that, that's incredible. That's incredible top tier stuff. And I'm excited to see what they will do to take it a step further. I will say I'm a little apprehensive because I feel like it might just be too bonkers to make enough sense. But I'm hoping right. that they've, they have enough restraint to focus on the narrative rather than like, Oh, look there, look at this Easter egg. Uh, because that shit's getting old. Yeah, I know that they somebody did a character count of the various versions of Spider-Man that was just in the trailer alone that, that they teaser, put out. Yeah, yeah, which trailer. was obscene. I want to say it was like over three hundred or something like that. That's yeah. I'm like, oh man, it's a it's a ton, man. It, I don't know how many, but it's and lot. I'm sure some of that's just a flash in the pan, like background Easter egg type thing. Yeah, I, and I like Easter eggs. I like that shit because I'm a fucking nerd. But when that's when that's what you're bringing to the table, you know what I mean? Like we're having a feast. If you just bring 18 baskets full of Easter eggs and nothing else, <laughs> then we're just fucking eating eggs. Then aren't we? 100. Uh, percent And it gets, it's it, gets awful, a, actually, it gets a little Danny. old. That's, that's very real to me right now, and I don't want to eat 18 eggs. <laughs> you don't want, no, 18 baskets of eggs. Joey Chestnut, I found out today, weird that we're talking about eggs. Joey Chestnut ate uh, like 150-something in like... Hard-boiled eggs? In like 15 to 20 minutes or something like that. It was That man's going to have to die a, a tragic and volatile death. Is that death. the hot dog guy? Yes, it is. The guy? Yeah. Okay. He's crazy. You're not talking about okay, hot dog guy. I was like, I went to school. Surely we're not talking about. We're this. talking about I the mean, world famous competitive eater. Yeah, they like choke that kid out on air. But I mean, like, I guess if <laughs> yeah, go watch it. It's fucking wild. He's like mid eating hot dogs, and some kid bum rushes him, and he like grabs the kid, puts him in a chokehold, continues eating hot dogs while he's like yeah. literally choking <laughs> this kid. It's fucking sorry, 141 eggs in eight minutes. Jesus, dude. Wow, you know what, though? I could see that wild. more than the hot dog because, like, you could fit multiple eggs. I want to see you do it right now. I want to see this. <laughs> I couldn't, no. He's like, he's just fucking baby snaking it, just sliding down. Could you imagine the elasticity of his stomach? I mean, it's got to be unreal. I don't think, I don't think I could, I don't even think I could eat 150, like, raw eggs. I don't know. Your body would just, like, reject it, I would think. Yeah, and he's I think so. That's yeah, crazy. Pretty gross. Yeah, there's something up with that. All right, that, right? so Egg Jock 101. All right, gentlemen, we are finally here. The the pivotal moment of our number ones. And everybody's going to judge our entire list based on what our number ones is. So no pressure. No pressure out there. I think a lot of us are going to have the same one. <clears throat> uh, I don't give, give a no fuck. fucks. So, Brandon, what do you have at number one? Oh, I finally get the... Okay. We could count down from three and just all say it at the same time. <laughs> you ready? Yeah. Everything. Everything. Everywhere. Everywhere. 
all, all at once. once. <laughs> what a fuck. I like how you guys did that all at once. Yeah, no, it was perfect. <laughs> we scripted it. Yeah. It's it's not my number one, so yeah, that's good. That's good. So you guys chat about that movie, and uh, I'll talk about a different one when it's my turn. That's the best movie I've ever seen ever. Wow! In my life, I think. Hey, wait a second. Oh. Uh, it is just an absolute. It is an absolute fucking victory of pen meeting paper, and just cinema in general. I think it is one of the smartest, most heartfelt, delightful batshit crazy fucking stories I've ever heard, and I love it. A friend of mine used to have this prompt, and it's always fascinating. It's a great small talk piece, and it helps, like, you know, measure measure the, uh, you know, someone else's personality a little bit. He used to, used to do this prompt. He would say, if aliens came to Earth, what one movie would you show them Ooh. that would define movies? Like, what would be the movie you would show them to give them an idea of what movies are for the fucking 15 years that I've heard that question, it's been Forrest Gump. I feel like that movie kind of shows you multiple different types of movies. It has all the things you want in a movie, not likely to offend them per se. We hate chocolate. There's no alien battles in it or anything. So you don't have to explain that away, but up until everything everywhere, everything everywhere at once, I think is the movie that I would show them to show them how, important cinema is because it's a movie that does all of these amazing things in such a way that it just doesn't feel like you should be able to thread a needle that fucking well. Like it just doesn't. Yeah. It's, it's unrelenting. It's like a, just a pow straight to the face of all these different genres and all these. And honestly, for me, Danny, this was the comedy of the year. I think it was, it was a comedy of the year. It's got drama in it, heartfelt, beautiful moments. It's got all of this, like, just the donut alone. Bagel. Hot dog fingers. I mean, there's, so there's, we've all, yeah, the bagel, sorry. Dude, you're not the only person that's made that mistake. My coworker did the same thing to me. He was like, I'm not going to ruin the movie for you, but donuts are very important. I got to watch the movie. There's nothing about fucking donuts in the movie. And I go back to him and I'm like, do you know the difference between a fucking donut and a bagel, jackass? So wait a second, are you just shitting on you should remember the bagel because it's an everything bagel. It's got everything you're on it. You're shitting on me right now because you're stupid ass I am. fucking coworker. <laughs> I don't give a shit about that guy. Anyways, <laughs> this fucking film, man, it is just, it's gorgeous. And this is what a multiverse movie actually is. Like, if we're going to go into this multiverse thing, this is the multiverse. This is a fucking badass combination of things that is so smartly put together and just, I mean, it's brilliant. I love it. Everything. I love the scene where they're like working for the butt plug. I mean, if that tells you anything, you know, the butt plug trophies, the guy has to get on it so he can tap into this other version of himself so he can combat like, Oh my God. I remember I saw that on like a Wednesday in Cape Girardeau when I was down there for a shoot and uh, the the audience was like maybe eight people and they're all like adult age. Yeah. And that scene come up and these eight fucking people were like kicking off like a rock show, man. They're like cheering, like trying to like, you know, rooting for the butt plug. Yeah. Like I was just like, I couldn't, <laughs> I'm like looking around like, they're like, what are the odds that this small collection of people on a Wednesday at 5 PM would have like this, like they had all like, you know, getting this reaction out of that group of people. I was What's like, insane is they were all sitting on butt plugs. <laughs> they were all sitting on butt plugs. They're complimentary when you bought a ticket. 
I tell you, part of what I like so much about it is uh, to like Doug, what you were saying about like, oh, if aliens came down, what would you show them? You know, about being human. It uh, in a in a normal, uh, I, I guess, A to B narrative, y- you can only you can only really showcase the emotions of the characters that you have. But in something like this, you can you can take that person and pick them apart into different people because every day we're a little different. Right. You know what I mean? You wake up with a different, uh, 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 a, uh, like a preconceived notion in your head for the day. Well, that's technically a different you than it was the day before. You will answer questions differently. You know what I mean? Like not, not given any prompted answers. Um, so it, it's a great way to pull apart that the, a, the fact that, that people aren't always the same person and B, to tease all those different types of emotions and information out of those char- out of those different aspects of the same character. So, for instance, um, when she's uh, <clears throat> when she's uh, in the in the universe where her she never met her or she she knew her husband, but they didn't get married. Right. They split up. She became wildly successful, and he became wildly successful. When they're having this conversation, it, it, it's it is a departure from a, a part of how she already feels anyway. And these are things that she already knows about herself. She already knows about her husband. This is just a way that she can come to grips with it in the other personality. That's the, the real world character that we, that we meet right. through the whole film. And it's a, it's a, it is a very unusual artistic and smart way to convey that idea i think definitely i mean it's it's definitely it's like it it deals with human feelings that are so hard to put a button on of you know resentment for life choices you have you spend the rest of your life regretting nostalgia for better times that you once had and that really really fucking dangerous path we all go down which is what if right what if i'd done this what if i'd done that you know but the other thing that it does so well is like it's a joyous celebration of cinema too because it, it, it takes, you know, I often defend cliches and tropes because sometimes, you know, when I'm talking to people, they're like, oh, you know, tropes are bad, cliches are bad. I'm like, no, cliches and tropes are good if you know how uh, to use them. Yes. If you're using them as a shortcut to introduce an idea. Correct. And this movie is a great example of it because it's like, it's a celebration of cinema because every time they do something tropey, the backdrop is a type of movie you've seen. Rakakuni. So it's like rely, yeah. It's, like, it's 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 taking you to all these different like worlds and using cinema to help keep the worlds consistent and help you as the audience connect with like the type of story they're trying to say. And there's a lot of tropes and a lot of cliches in it, but it's done in a way that's still recognizing and honoring the feelings these characters have throughout that journey. And it's also a movie that I feel like is a celebration of the internet and the absurdity of the internet. So it's a, it's a really complex thing. That's like, it's so easy to have done this movie and have it be very pastiche, but somehow they just were able to write this rock solid emotional through line that pulled the whole movie together and anchored everything. And every consequence felt like it was leading, you know, every, every action felt like it was leading to a consequence that would pay off. And it does like, by the time, you know, it's like, there's at least three or four moments where you feel like, fuck is it's over. Like it's definitely oh, thank God we're over. And then you're like, Oh Jesus, like we're dealing with this now. Raccoon Tui, we need a moment of silence. Yeah. Moment of silence for Raccoon. Yeah. That was a fucking brilliant. I, I Raccoon. Yeah, enough can I mean, nothing can be said that hasn't I mean, it's just phenomenal. 
we can pick that movie apart forever. I loved it. And nobody's half-ass in it. Nobody. Correct. The even the even the guy in the laundromat that he's dancing right. with, and he's like, "Oh, you really got the moves." That guy's not half-assed in it either. Everybody, Jamie Curtis you, having the you, time you of her just life. Look at her; she's it's losing just, her it's mind. It's so much fun. Like, I loved the, I love the universe where she had like they had like the dildo or hot dog fingers or whatever. Yeah, the hot dog fingers. Yeah, and I I think also it's like the fucking production of that movie is a miracle. Like the visual effects team was five people. That's self-taught crazy. on the internet. Yeah. Five, five people. That's crazy. And you know, everything was shot in one building. I wouldn't be shocked if the budget wasn't more than a million and a half for real. Like it was done. Like none of that information is really out there. Right. And then the other thing about it that's amazing is like COVID hit while they were shooting and there were things that they had to invent or do differently because of COVID. Right. Like when you're watching the visual effects breakdowns, the whole scene, the entire scenes with, uh, uh, Waymond and uh, Michelle Yeoh's character setting in the, the van together talking that whole fucking bit is the two of them green screen into the seat together done like extremely like homemade like it's the kind of thing like you know like a student filmmaker would do but they were able to do it and pull it off and it looks amazing you would never know it's so fucking yeah clean. It's so clean like there's not a scene like it's I, beautiful. I watching it on a big screen a screen there was never a moment where i'm like oh, this is a visual effect shot fuck no not a single moment right right when i found out it was a vision did you guys name a single part that was bad i i can't I can't, I, I can't, I can't think of a moment that I was like, well, could have done without that. In fact, even the, even the most absurd and crazy ones, like the rock, the fucking rock piece. Like I listened to them on some podcasts and they said their DP was convinced that it needed to be in the movie. He was obsessed with this fucking rock idea and kept pushing it, like telling them that they need to do it. Like then, then COVID hit and they had nothing to shoot. I thought so they all drove up to the, yeah, they, so they drove up the to the middle thing. of fucking nowhere, shot the rock. I thing. love when the and, mother rock turns and it's got the googly eyes on it too. <laughs> like it's not revealed, like the slow turn. Like. Yeah. What ended up happening <laughs> yeah, was like they, I ended up um I you know, that to me was one of the most like emotionally like riveting yeah. scenes. And it was so weird because it was like there was nothing to yeah. there was no faces, there was no tears. It was just yeah. the con- you know, the connection was so like magnetic between a mother and her daughter yeah, wind. that it didn't matter what just form wind, they were in. Which and it they... kind of reminded me of something like Pixar would have done, you know what I mean? Like taking these characters and putting them in a situation that's just like, you know, you're so emotionally invested in them and they're putting in a situation where there's like that barriers between what they can and can't do. And again, like I said, at the very top of the podcast, like it, uh, sometimes great writing is just about creating conflict and finding ways to make things unattainable for your characters. And God damn, if that one movie, oh, and it definitely made me cry a couple times. Yeah. This movie fucking rocked me. Like you said earlier, Danny, like had me laughing and then seconds later had me like tearing up just being like, you know, fuck like this movie speaking to feelings. I didn't know I had. <laughs> right. Yeah. And what you're saying about the, the scene with the rocks, man, I was sitting there watching it and I, I paused it for a minute and was just like, had my hands on my head. And I was like, I cannot believe that I feel so emotional right now about two rocks and text on screen and the sound of wind, which uh, I think they added in post originally. They were like, no, no sound. And I think that would have been even a little more ridiculous, but the, the wind, I guess, I, I don't know what it does for it, but, I've watched it three times now and I found it so appealing. I don't know that it would have the same effect that, that, that little bit of something, it does something for me, but it's, it's the writing is what makes it so fucking powerful. And it's like Doug said, because you're already so invested 
you can almost just take the characters off the screen yeah. for a minute. You, like, you don't need them. Well, what do the rocks do? Turn and one rolls down a hill? There's not, they're not, there's nothing to it. Uh, but it's, it's the, the, the little bit of experience I have with like, you know, uh, sound design and shit like that. And like being able to like choices you make on whether or not you leave sounds in or take them out, which are super important. Imagining that I didn't, I didn't know that when you said that Danny, that they were going to like, can they consider not having any background sound or ambient sound? It would feel too alien. It would feel too isolated. It would feel too isolated. You know, by adding that little bit of wind, it gives it that texture to make you like, oh, I'm still on Earth, but I'm just in a different time, probably, or somewhere foreign, but not, you know, unrelatable. So, yeah, it's like the tiniest bizarre choices like that make such a significant impact. Mm hmm. Well, the real reason they wanted to go for it is because she's like, oh, we're going to a planet where life never developed. If life never developed, there is no atmosphere, so there is no sound. So that's why they were going to lean into that. And I think it might have been. From my recollection, this absolutely could be wrong, but from my recollection, I think Michelle Yeoh was the one who insisted that they put the, just the breeze, just the sound of the breeze in it. And uh, yeah, I, I think honestly that that particular scene is like one of the most impressive things I've seen in several years. All right. You all three had everything everywhere at once, right? As your number one. I which we've already talked about this film, but I've got some different points to bring up. Had Nope by Jordan Peele is my number one film. So I'll just go through the byline real quick. Like I did with the other, with my other selections after a random objects falling from the sky result, the death of their father ranch owning siblings, OJ and Emerald Haywood attempt to capture video evidence of an unidentified flying object with the help of a tech salesman, Angel Torres and documentarian antlers, Holst. So Daniel Kaluuya, Kiki Palmer, Stephen Young, Michael Wincott, to name several of the stars of the film. Jordan Pill joint, once again, one of my favorite directors doing it right now. Uh, came out in July of 2022 this year. Had a $68 million budget and did north of $170 million. So at the box office, so very successful. Two hours and 10 minutes. And there's a lot of cool things going on with Nope. First and foremost, Jordan Peele is a director who often leaves things up to interpretation, although he does things with an an intent also. Um, So in a lot of interviews, Jordan Peele said that this movie's theme is specifically about spectacle, spectacle as it relates to Hollywood, fame, celebrity, etc. That's not really like what I gravitated and leaned into. Uh, when watching the film, personally, I was pretty hu- pretty hung up on that that thought, that motif of a bad miracle that continued to happen throughout the movie. Not to say anybody would be wrong uh, on going down either of those paths. It's also important to keep in mind too. You know, there was a lot of talk as trailers were coming out before the movie was out, and Jordan Peele was doing kind of a mystery box reveal type approach with the movie. It is that Nope is an acronym, not of Planet Earth. So there's a lot of people that were really focusing in on that as well. So that's where the thoughts of extraterrestrial and that sort of thing started to come in. Joey Rakavan, who's been on the show before, a mutual friend of many of ours, he and I got into a discussion about Nope, and I can't, my mind can't get away from this now for multiple reasons, which I'm about to get into. So the movie opens up with a very hateful Old Testament Torah era quote, and that's in Nahim. It's 3-6, and I wrote it down. I will cast abominable filth upon you and make you vile and make you a spectacle. 
So that is the opening biblical quote for the movie. And so then I got to thinking about, okay, well, not a planet Earth, that means it could be angelic. And if you get into some of the medieval interpretations of angels, they're not all nice. And you have to also consider the fact that Lucifer was an angel. So you could also look at this creature, not necessarily, you know, things that are extraterrestrial doesn't necessarily mean that it's a an alien in the sense that we think of them, like the greys, if you will. You know, it's a par- popular uh, characteristic of aliens. Like to me, an, a- an alien would be an angel as well, because they're not of this earth. So I could see this, and especially whenever, you know, at first, big spoiler here, you just see a cloud moving. And then that kind of turns into a, a flying saucer, but more of an organic being that looks similar to like a stingray, for example. Is a, is And that was kind of some of the hate on it as well. I think people, and this happens often with movies, they get defensive. They almost take offense to whenever things don't play out in a way that they think that they should or what they thought a movie was going to be ultimately. I think a lot of that happened with this creature in and of itself. But where I get back into the angelic thing, so this creature transforms as the movie progresses along and it's not trying to conceal its identity any longer and so on and so forth. And there's like this weird tapestry to it. And it almost like comes out into this, there's like a centric box uh, as well. And to me, that looked very angelic on the screen as well. Coincidentally, uh, the tech salesman, his name is Angel also in the film. So with a lot of these ties to biblical related things, and one very obvious being the fact that they open it up with a scripture, I can't not think that that isn't done without intent, you know, by Jordan Peele as well. So yeah, I just think that there's a lot to chew on with the film. And is it his best film? I don't think it is. In fact, I I would maybe even argue this might be his weakest film, but it's still good enough that it has me still thinking about it today, you know, and my wife and I, I don't rewatch a lot of movies. I rewatch this movie and, you know, and, and that says a lot for me as a, a, I would consider myself a cinephile in many respects. And, you know, I've got limited time, but, you know, once I got the uh, 4k UHD special edition of this, uh, my wife gifted it to me. I had to watch it again, look at some of the behind the scenes stuff as well. And it's just, it's beautifully shot as well. I mean, we can't overlook that. The cinematography in this is just absolutely stunning, amazing. You know, I'm sure that it's going to be nominated for that. If not, it's a crime. You know, this this movie too is just incredible. And Michael Wincott's character, Antlers Holst, what a fucking character. Like, he's not in it very long, but he steals every scene that he's involved in. He's got that gravelly voice, of course. Yeah, he's got magic, baby. That's that's something from my childhood from straight up uh, Robin Hood with Kevin Costner. Uh, yes. That, that, to me, seeing him in the film, that's, wow, that voice is so recognizable. And I could go into the movie completely blinded by his scenes and just know exactly right. who the fuck he is. I remember him popping up in Westworld for like a scene and I lost my shit. Yeah. yeah I'm sure always did. excited to see him like in anything. And I was so glad to see him like really get to chew on some scenery in this one. David Keith was in it too as the father. Who's another. Keith f- David. Yeah. Keith David. I'm sorry. <laughs> I did it backwards. No, it's like, honestly, I think that's probably the most common name swap thing. It's a Keith David, David Keith. Right. <laughs> Dude, I fucking love Keith David. Yeah. He's awesome. and. Iconic voice there too. Yeah. He's such a 
Yeah, I, absolutely. Very iconic. Was, voice actor. His Twitter handle was Silver Throat. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like my 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 kid's very interested in voice acting. So anytime I'm watching a movie and somebody I know that voice acts stuff that she's seen, I'll be like, hey, come in here. Who is that? And she'll listen. I'll be like, don't look at them, though. Just listen. She'll be like, oh, my God, that's, you know, so and so. And uh, man, he just he's got uh, he's got a gravity to him. You just kind of want to hang out with him when he's on the screen. Go have a look up like Frank Welker's like filmography. Like, fuck. Voice Optimus Prime. No, that's Peter Cullen. But uh, he did Transformer shit, too, if I recall. But then also like Gremlins, Predator like a shitload of cartoons we watched as kids. Like that dude's got in a crazy, oh, yeah. crazy filmography. Brett Barrett though, like what you said about the angel shit, man, I'm, I'm going to be thinking about that a lot. That's you're absolutely dead on with like, that is not happenstance, man. That is like by design that he wanted to put some of that in there. The other big thing too, of course I can't forget is the fact that uh, Stephen Young's character too. Uh, he was a childhood actor. We've talked about before was on the, the uh, chimpanzee show where the, chimp went nuts and murdered everybody on set. He survived it. He holds a little shrine in his office as well of the incident <laughs> and actually charges people to come in and take a look at it. Like he's kind of exploiting it, but he clearly has PTSD and trauma that he suffered from the event. And he tries to play it off. Like it's no big thing, make light of it. Talk about an SNL sketch that was done. The centerpiece of this collection is the shoe that never drops. And I was obsessed with that part of the film when I first watched it as well. It's like you're waiting for the other shoe to drop and it never and then it never does. You know, so I thought that was pretty comedic. And you also have to love that Akira homage, the uh, sideways motorcycle slide. Oh, yeah, that was fucking dope. Yeah. Dude, I I wanna I wanna add, man, Kiki Palmer is fucking lightning in a Hell yes. She's so much She's fun, the best man. part of the movie. Yeah, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, she would have taken the second female lead or female yeah probably for me too for real you guys yeah, she's fantastic here's some uh hometown baseball so like if you're not from the area and you're listening to this i apologize i'll make it brisk so right before nope came out before like anything with the chimpanzee had really become like established um uh, i was telling someone about that fucking chimpanzee attack that that's based off right remember famously they gave the chimpanzee ambient and it like ripped that lady's face off like nearly killed her, like broke her hands off. It was all over the fucking news. And it's like old now it's old news. Um, so anyway, like, yeah, I was telling someone about that. And then like less than a week later, I go to see Nope. And I didn't realize it was this massive plot point in the film. Like they kept it very under wraps until the film came out. And so I went and I saw that at the Festus movie theater, right? Like right there, B and B right there in Festus. Yeah. Festus B and B. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the so one I'm I kicking it there. To. I'm watching it in Festus. I get out of there and I decide I'm going to go do a little deep diving about this chimpanzee after I get out of the movie and I'm scrolling and I'm doing the thing and I'll be goddamned. Do you know where the real chimpanzee came from that did that? Not where the attack happened, but where he was born and raised and sold from park. Festus. I'll be (laughs) (laughs) damned. Like oh my crazy, god, I fucking love these rednecks, crazy man. synchronicity, wow. dude. Like, I was just like, you know, those moments when you're like, "What?" The Pentagon opened on 1961. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The moments where you're just like, you see things, you're like, these numbers add up. Like right. that was that for me, where I was like, "What the fuck?" That is crazy, like, man. Blinking, you'll miss a little town that you're driving through. You watch a movie and you leave, and the fucking goddamn monkeys from there. 
That's fucking incredible, man. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, before we wrap it up, let's throw out one honorable mention that, uh, or if you would just want to give a quick punch list. Uh, for me, I'm just going to go ahead and get it started and get it out of the way. Decision to Leave by Park Chan-wook. Park Chan-wook is one of my favorite directors, period. Old boy, probably top five movie ever for me. Uh, I love just everything that Park Chan-wook has done. The premise of this movie is from a mountain peak in South Korea, a man plummets to his death. Did he jump or was he pushed? When a detective uh, arrives on the scene, he begins to suspect that the dead man's wife might be involved. but. He digs deeper into the investigation. And he finds himself trapped in a web of deception and desire. This came out in October of this year. Box office, it did almost $22 million. It had a $10 million budget. It's a South Korean film. Two hours, 18 minutes. And it's got a tragic Shakespearean ending. Well done. Well executed. So I have a, an appreciation for that always. The big thing for this movie, for me, the acting performances are solid. However, it's the shots... The the cinematography, the editing, like it is a masterclass and you're seeing a lot of those unique Park Chan-wook approaches on how to attack a scene uh, with the camera specifically. So I'm not exactly sure who his DP is on this, if it's consistent with his other films. I didn't look that up. Irrelevant to that, I know it's his influence on, on trying to capture these things. So there's a shot in the film. It's a dead man's eye perspective looking up the mountain and answer cr- traveling over the top of the lens. Very unique. Never seen in a movie before. Very well done. There's almost like, I wouldn't call it a tracking shot per se, but there's a shot where he pivots. I guess he posted the camera on the rear view mirror of a car. So as the car door closes, you see what's in the perspective of that rear view mirror. I hadn't seen that done in too many movies before, or a side mirror, if you will. And uh, that was really cool. Several just, I could just sit here and do a punch list of shots that I just love from this movie. And, um, you know, it's it's not to say it's a story that you've seen or not seen before. I would say that the story is somewhat predictable. However, the how they tell the story is an, there's an appreciation for it. Like I don't always get like pissed off whenever people try to ruin like oh this happened in this movie per se. I t- I have more of an appreciation of how they tell that story and where it fits in the grand scheme of things. So this is a film again probably not on a lot of people's radars. I w- again I wouldn't call it as strong as film. But it definitely has its moments, and I would definitely recommend people to check out, especially if you like foreign films, if you like Korean films. And you probably maybe have even seen a Park Chan-wook film and not realized it, Uh, but he's a fantastic director, and he has a huge cult following in and of himself. One of my favorite directors. Decision to leave. Yeah, that's that's another one that I really wanted to fucking catch before this episode, but uh, it's it's definitely on my list for for, for seeing. I did get that one. Um, I just would echo everything Barrett said. Uh, It is, although it's predictable, it is uh, still something to behold. Like even like like your old lady get home from the grocery store or something and tell you a story about some weirdo in the grocery store. Like, oh my God, I saw this person. They were fucking, you know just being assholes, like wiping their ass with the ranch dressing or just something. You've seen a psychopath like that in the grocery store. It's not a new story, but something about just a, an earnest retelling is, uh, is still can be refreshing and, and feel like, uh, a renewing quality. It starts to feel like, uh, the Hannibal TV show with Mads Mikkelsen a little bit and that he's already figured out, what's happened but he's so intoxicated by this black widow 
it it really and and the shots. I mean, I I don't know if the shots weren't in this movie. I don't know if it would have hit me as hard. But he's he's such a brilliant storyteller, and I think a lot of it, like you said, Barrett, uh, pulls from his uh, the cinematographer pulls from his influence. I mean, he's a masterful filmmaker. He could probably fucking shoot cheese molding for 30 days and I'd probably watch this, you know? So a little biased anyways, but, uh, uh, Brandon, what you got for an honorable mention? My honorable mention, which I had mentioned before is the, uh, worse than, uh, triangle sadness. Uh, I think for me, it was definitely, uh, soft and quiet. Uh, originally whenever I went into this movie, I expected it to there's nothing given to you whatsoever from the trailer um, that there's, there's a panicking and a woman's group and that's it. But from the moment it kicks off, I'd say five minutes in, you're already like, there's something just fucking off about this movie. And you think that it's going to turn. I thought it was going to turn into a black comedy, but what I ended up getting into, which Liz was very disturbed by is it's very real. Uh, and it's happening right near everywhere in America right now. Uh, and it is, it's one of those movies. You definitely, you watch one movie and then maybe put on Paddington two, <laughs> lighten it up and then watch that because this is the darkest film in my opinion of 2022 hits hard at home. There's a moment with a pie. And a, a reverse peace sign that I am very, uh, I was very blown away by right off the bat. And uh, it, it just hits hard. It hits home. I think everybody should watch it if you're of our type of people. Not for the faint of heart, though. It's not for the faint of heart. It's, it's very uncomfortable. It's very, very, very uncomfortable. Like we're getting into it is added to my list. I have not even heard of it. It is getting to the point to where it's it's almost uncomfortable in the 120 days of Sodom realm. Gotcha. It's like a it's funny games, but darker. Uh, for me, it, I always try and look out for these films that are really going to push me uh, past and get past all this stuff that I'm already desensitized by. But this knocked me on my ass and I felt so uncomfortable even thinking about putting it on top five. Right on. Well, that sounds like a must watch then for sure. Danny, what you got for an honorable mention, sir? Uh, man, you know, I've, I've not got anything that, that blew up at the box office or that even got a theatrical release. Um, it was actually something I just kind of randomly happened across and I, I, Man, I thought it was really fun, and I would like more people to check it out. It's actually a horror anthology called Tiny Cinema. Uh, it's directed by Tyler Kornack, and um, I don't, I don't consider my like, I don't get pumped about horror anthologies. I'll watch them, uh, but the 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 one little teaser I had seen for this had me interested, and I went into it, and I just, man, I found it to be very charming, and also some some uh unsettling topics and some of them were just were just fun like just hokey enough to be fun but well done enough to be taken seriously uh there's uh a delightful um 
I don't know what the term is for it. Like kind of like how, how the, how the crypt keeper is the host of, of whatever. Yeah. Anyway, just a, a charming, well put together fucking anthology. So, something that I expected to just kind of put on and be like, Oh yeah, it was whatever. And uh, I wound up actually really liking it. Uh, just fun, fun stories that uh, can, you know, scary shit can be fun. It always is fun. Absolutely. It can be, it can be, it can be light and gory and kind of unsettling the longer you think about it. And it was, uh, I don't know, it was, it was really nicely done and I was very pleasantly surprised. So I guess as just a blind spot recommendation that I really enjoyed from 2022. I had seen that uh, on a few recommended lists, but that's one I missed this year as well. And I do have an intent to check it out. And uh, I love a good horror anthology. You know, some of my early relationships with horror and enjoying films were from uh, anthology type things, you know, Tales from the Crypt, for example, Creep Show. You know, those were all big parts of my childhood. And then later, yeah, Tales from the Hood. I enjoyed that quite a bit. So, and then, uh, of course, ABCs of Death and VHS and enjoyed those as well. So, Alrighty, Mr. Doug, what you got for a honorable mention? Close us out, sir. Just going to throw fresh up. Man, talk about a sleeper. I didn't see that coming. Like, uh, again, yeah. earlier, Danny mentioned how Fox Searchlight, he said Hulu, but want to go a little extra step and say specifically Fox Searchlight has just you know, fucking you know crushed this meant. year. Like, just consistently, right. like, that all of a sudden became the studio to keep an eye on. Like, you know, Prey, Hellraiser, Fresh, Bar- not Barbarian. Uh, there's another one in there that I'm fucking lapsing on that they. Is it? Is it hatched or hatching? No, nah, no, nah, that's like a magnolia that? magnet thing. But moving on anyway, uh, totally unexpected, like fun fucking. It might actually be fresh. I'm thinking of and I'm used to listing for movies. So whatever. Anyway, uh, yeah, just talk about just having a like a good slate of films and that film fit right in there in that unexpected journey. So if you dug barbarian, you haven't checked out fresh on Hulu, bounce over and do that. But my true like contender for like, it came on the list. It came off the list. It came on the list. It came off for the last few weeks is, um, and just nobody's talking about it is uh, vengeance. The BJ Novak movie you one written so fucking well, but what you would not expect is the performance is Novak's able to get out all of these actors. And, you know, also like it's so fucking grounded and realistic and like kind of heartbreaking in a fucked up way. It's it's definitely like a movie I did not expect for him to make. Yeah, you know, the first scene's funny. Luckily, it doesn't it isn't that type of movie. The first scene feels like what you expect from BJ Novak. The rest of the film isn't. And it's definitely a situation where like, you know, if you're looking at it, and you're seeing Ashton Kutcher on there and that's like a, a fucking red flag for you. I understand. I feel you. I took a gamble on this after having three people who normally wouldn't refer a movie, you know, like they, they really just kept hitting me with like, you have to see it. You have to see it. You have to see it. And I finally took a chance on it and Kutcher, I'm not fucking with you. This is the best he's ever been by a, a country mile like this. It's he's his first fucking on camera moment has so much gravitas and so much weight under it that you're just like shocked that this is the person saying the things that you're seeing. And it's just like, it's just handled in such a confident way that it was like extremely impressive movie. I think you're a liar, man. Butterfly effect. That's the best movie I ever seen. (laughs) That, that was my biggest fear is I saw the country hats. I saw in Texas, I see Kutcher. I'm like, please God, don't do the accent. Please don't try and do a Southern accent. And you know what? He doesn't. He's from like North Carolina or something. 
So, you know, he's got the hat, but there's no country accent to fucking worry about. He's just, he's really in the zone. He fucking pulls it off. Honestly, cannot recommend it enough. And it's short. Yeah, I I haven't checked out Fresh, nor have I seen Vengeance, so they're definitely two I need to check out. Guys, how are we feeling about our list? Yeah, I'm feeling, feeling very confident fantastic. about our picks. I think we brought a good variety, even though there was some layover, for sure. I could have shit yeah, out against, against internet nerds? Sure, I don't give a fuck. Could have, could have been a top ten. Could have been a top ten without some sweat, you know? <laughs> like, it would have been pretty easy. Getting that five, man, it was like, I feel like I know I'm going to regret some of these decisions. These movies are going to move around for a while. <laughs> for sure, man. So, uh, whenever we go to post the episode, I'll do some graphics of uh, everybody's picks and everything. So, if you're listening to the show and you, you can't quite remember every, what everybody had and everything, you know, be sure to check out the episode details. So I'll put links in there. Uh, we'll have it across our social media as well. And I can't thank you, enough, thank you guys enough for joining up and, and contributing again to another lengthy roundtable. I think we got a lot of good content out there for folks to check out. 100%. Love you. Everybody, be sure to check out Mr. Danny King. It's Just Two Movies. And check out Doug Wicker at Search Party Picks across all social media as well. And I need to get one of those koozies, my man. And, of course, Mr. Tom Tickle down there in the corner on the call today. You know him all too well, and hopefully we've got a uh, Knob Nards Closet coming at you real soon. Real soon. And uh, you're going to be seeing Tom Tickle again whenever we go do our favorite TV series of 2022. So that is going to be our next episode. Brandon, Josh, and I will be on that call, and we're going to be bringing out our rolling out our list for favorite TV series of the year, similar format to this. Guys, thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Love y'all. We'll see you on the other side. All right. No problem. Have a good night, guys. This is Barrett from the ATI Podcast. Each week, Josh and I discuss current events, pop culture, music, TV, movies, politics, sports. Nothing is out of bounds. You can also tune in to learn about rising artists, small businesses, whether it's music, graphic design, filmmaking, or even a brick-and-mortar mom-and-pop shop. We will be spotlighting folks in their endeavors. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Anchor, or anywhere you enjoy your podcast. Just search ATI Podcast. We would like to thank you for your continued support. And as always, please stay safe out there. We would like to thank our guests this week for their contributions to episode 49 of the ATI podcast, Top Films of 2022. Thank you so much to our guest contributors, Danny and Doug. And of course, you can check out Danny on It's Just Two Movies, available on all podcasting platforms. And you can check out Doug. Doug's work, Search Party Pictures. Doug has a lot of his work on his YouTube channel as well and we will be tagging that in the episode details for folks to check out next episode episode 50 is going to be on our twitch live stream uh the date's yet to be determined but we'll have that on social media for you folks we've got top tv series and shows of 2022 that's going to be brandon josh and myself bear on the call just to let you guys kind of know an extenuating circumstance that we have kind of going on at the moment it turns out i recently discovered i have some medical issues um spinal in nature and i uh, am awaiting some 
testing results and things of that ilk. Um, so it's kind of affecting the timeline of the show. And uh, Josh is also in the process of landing a new career. So um, that may impact some of the schedule that we had already posted up. However, we are still going to be bringing that content to you. Uh, we're just going to have to try and work around those things. So whenever my situation becomes more clear, we'll be able to you know map things out with specific dates and more specifically with season two as well. We've got a lot of offers and guests lined up for season two. We're really excited to be bringing season two to you guys. And uh, it's just, a, it's not a matter of if, just when at this time. So uh, after episode 50 that I just mentioned, which is our top TV series of the year, we're going to do episode 51. That's going to be with the babyface Jake Jackson from Waxing On with RJ and myself. And uh, Josh is going to be doing some moderating. We're going to be talking about wrestling in 2022, some of our favorite feuds, our favorite acts, tag team, males, females, singles. And uh, we're also going to talk about favorite promotions, perhaps. And we're going to talk about maybe what we think is going to happen in the Royal Rumble, just to have a little fun, make some predictions there. The official road to WrestleMania. So that'll be a wrestling, professional wrestling centric episode, episode 51. And then we're going to end the year with, and our first season that is, with ATI podcast special inspirations. It, from our pilot episode, us talking about inspirations, reasons for formation of the show, and also a more recent appearance I had on a podcast here in the last year promoting the show as well. And I get into the reasons why we started doing the show again. And then right after that, of course, will be season two, which will debut in February of this year, 2023, an all new year. Hard to believe already here, 2023, already a year deep in the game and uh, just really excited for what we have in the works cooking up for season two. Can't wait to bring it to you guys. So for this week, I am Barrett at Barry Insane on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, my co-host for today was Brandon, Brandon Stewart of Edaw's Imperious Emporium. And be sure to check out his custom diorama making as well as figure painting for D&D and those types of role-playing games. Brandon does fantastic work over at Edaw's Imperious Emporium. He has an Etsy shop and he will do commission pieces as well. And it is a collaboration of creativity with him. Very personable. And I highly recommend his services. Good night and good luck. Stay safe out there. Truth is, I'm not really a good person. Pearl, I think I should. The reason I kept my eyes to the ground around other men was never to avoid hurting you. It's because I understood how lucky I was to have your attention. I may be a poor farm girl, Harry, but I'm not stupid. I spotted you the moment you came to live with us. You worked hard, like the other farmhands, but you were different. You're from somewhere. A nice, comfortable place that you could return to whenever you wanted. I'm so desperate to have that. All my life I've wanted off this farm, you were my ticket out. So? I made sure to never let you see who I really was. I worked like a charm too. Then, when you finally brought me back to your home to meet your family, it was just as I hoped. Life straight out of the pictures. At least that's what it felt like to me. And you didn't want it. You just wanted to stay here on our farm and that made me so angry. Did you? I'm certain you know I hated it. You must have. 
How could you be so selfish and cruel? After all, I've done to make you happy. I was even pregnant with your baby. I never wanted to be a mother. I loved the feeling of it growing inside me. I felt that sickness. Pulling, sucking on me like some needy animal in the barn. How could I be responsible for another life? Life terrifies me. It's harsh and bleak and draining. I was so relieved when it died. It was a little less late keeping me trapped here, but then the war came and you left me too. Why did you leave me, Howard? I feel like this. It's so pathetic. Do people like you ever feel this way? I figure you don't. You seem so perfect on time. The Lord must have been generous to you. He never answers any of my prayers. I don't know why. What did I do? What is wrong with me? Please just tell me so maybe I can get better. I don't want to end up like mom or I want to be dancing up on the screen like the pretty girls in the pictures. I want what they have so badly. To be perfect. To be loved from as many people as possible. To make up for all my time spent suffering. Sometimes I wake in the middle of the night and the fear washes over me. Because what if this is it? What if this is right where I belong? Exactly what mama said I was weak. I don't know why, what did I do? Why well, wasn't my family like yours? I hate what it feels like to be me and not you. I'm so scared that when you finally come home, you'll see me and be frightened like everyone else is. I know what I've done, the bad things, the terrible, awful, murderous things. I regret them now, but I liked how they felt. I wish I didn't, but I did. At first, it was only animals smaller than myself. Nothing but feelings, nothing that could hurt me back. Felt good. Killing's easier than you'd think. Till recently, Mama and the boy from the picture house, they were different. They were more meaningful. I hurt them so they too might know what it feels like to suffer but poor daddy didn't deserve that. I wish I hadn't done what I did. Mama meant well. She had a hard life. She only wanted a home to feel safe and I can see that. I thought I hated her but I just want to feel safe too. Howard. I made such a mess of things. I don't know how much more I can take. I need to clean this up. All of it. I need to make things right before you see me again. Maybe if I can turn this farm into a home for us like you wanted, things will finally be different. I can forgive. 
I can be who you want me to be. If you just stay with me. Please. I can't be all by myself anymore. It's too hard. We can love each other. I'll do that for you. If you really meant all that, till death do us part. It'd be enough. Just you and me here on this farm. All I really want is to be loved. I'm having such a hard time without anything.